<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, uh, this is going to be exciting today. We've got an epic tear in the sky story for you, all about shaking hands. And we get to talk to the filmmaker who put together Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh, that's, this is going to be fantastic. So many questions for her. So many questions. Oh, uh, we also have to do this. We go together. Okay, this is the new Jonas Brothers song. Oh called... my gosh, Nick loves it. He Sucker. can't wait to cover it, uh, cover it with his band, Fierce Brosnan. Are you already working out the tabs on this I don't thing? Know, I don't know if I said that, but... Could you learn that on the recorder by the end of the show today? Sure. Okay, right. Just let's just do the first piece. We go together. Better than birds of a feather. Okay, just get, if you get that am I, part... Am I doing the singing melody, or... Yeah, let's do that. That's going to be the more recognizable portion. Okay. Okay. All right. Jay Inslee is in Who? the race for 2020. I know. Not a lot of name recognition for Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, former member of Congress. Uh, side note. 2020 is something that we're going to talk about and we're going to update regularly. It'll probably be a reoccurring recurring, uh, segment here. And we've, Asked you on social media to come up with a name for it. The way you came up with a name for Swamp Watch. We're yeah. taking your suggestions. Yeah, because there's so, I mean, there's a bunch that you could do. Hindsight is 2020, uh, 2020, like the TV show. We, we just need something. We need to be able to put together something for this regular recurring segment. So far, we've gotten some suggestions. Make America Sane again. Who's the next gas hat running? That's mm, clever. Yeah. Uh, Trump's high speed train to greatness. <laughs> what? Uh, stolen from another show, just like the rest of your show. <laughs> Wait, what? Like we steal all our stuff. Oh, that really? That's what we do? Show prep? All right. Jay Inslee, currently governor of Washington. You mentioned former member of Congress um, and is now running specifically on climate change and environmental issues as his platform for becoming the next president of the United States. The uh, 
in all honesty, he's had a pretty good run as governor, good economic expansion there in the state of Washington, especially in the Seattle area, Amazon and all of the other tech companies that are based there have hired tens of thousands of workers. Boeing has been very successful well, as well. Of course you're going to be very successful when you run on the climate change ticket and uh, and tech is booming if you're the governor of Washington. But yeah. that does that does that it doesn't ma- translate it does not. Now and the other thing about it, Jay Inslee, there's a couple of things about him. I covered him extensively when I was working in Seattle when he was a member of Congress. One of the nicest, most approachable guys in politics that I think I've ever, ever had to interview or deal with in any way. Absolutely. And those people get eaten alive. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that that's not a quality necessarily that translates to a strong presidential bid. Now, again, he's making this his signature issue, climate change. He's proved he's making a point here. It's not that he expects to be president or that he expects even uh, to make it after make it past, say, January of next year in the Iowa caucuses. He he just wants attention on climate change. He wants the issue pushed into the presidential debate. That's respectable. Um, The other thing about him, a 68 year old guy, and I mean this in the most uh, basic human way, he's got a speech impediment. Guy has a little bit of a lisp. I don't think that plays in 2019. I'm not saying that people can't have lisps. Some of the people I love the most in this world have lisps. I'm just saying, in terms of presenting yourself to a national audience, people can be very cruel when it comes to those types of things. I just pulled up a recent, within the past... uh three months or so poll on climate change and and where people stand. A new poll, and this is from Politico, shows most voters side with elements of the federal government that sounded the alarm last month in a dire report on climate change rather than with the president, who is a climate change denier. This is the Politico morning consult poll. Two-thirds of voters say they are very or somewhat concerned about the report. A 58% majority agrees with the scientific consensus and disagrees with Trump that climate change is being caused by human activity. Hmm. 58% so is that, isn't isn't too too much of a majority though. No, and I don't know if it's if even if it is an issue that's top of mind for those people, is that the issue whereby they will choose who becomes who they want to become the next president of the United States. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, you could talk about uh, gun control. You could talk about abortion. You could talk about other big issues like that where people do decide on that. I don't know if climate change has risen to that level yet. Well, and part of the problem with climate change uh, as a part of the problem this country has enacting any sort of change that will help things is the big C word, China. If China's not going to do anything to combat climate change, then... <laughs> Kind of urinating into the wind on right. that front. Absolutely. Um, now, the the way Jay Inslee is putting this is he's he's describing climate change and economic development going hand in hand. He refers to uh, a push for 100 percent clean energy that in it, in and of itself creates that economic development, creates those millions of jobs that otherwise people would be concerned would be leaving if we start putting regulations on uh, environmental uh, putting environmental regulations on businesses. 
The other big story this morning is about the president and how much he loves nepotism. If we needed any more proof, the New York Times came forward with it today that President Trump chose nepotism over the advice from the upper echelon of the intelligence community when it came to giving Jared Kushner a security clearance. Yeah, this is uh, this is quite an issue. We've talked before about how security clearances worked and why Jared Kushner was only given an interim clearance at one point. Um, the the idea of what happens in a security clearance like this is interesting in that you have to fill out a giant form. By the way, printed it out right here. Standard Form 86, Questionnaire for National Security Positions. And I was flipping through it today, and it's got the normal stuff you would see, like, on any uh, job application. Personal information, school information, employment information, any military service information. But it gets into things like psychiatric health, mental evaluations, any police record, financial records you might have. And all of what they're talking about concentrates on Section 19 and 20, which is foreign contacts and any foreign business, professional activities, or foreign government contacts as well. Because if you're in business with foreign governments or foreign foreign entities and you're privy to top-secret intelligence information, it might serve you in business to impart that information to your business ties. Right. The... The issue also was that when Jared Kushner fills this out, by the way, it's humongous. The online version of this questionnaire is 127 pages. And is he filling it out? Probably not. Yeah. But, I mean, they have said that that there were aides that filled him out. His right. aides at the time insisted he was omitting some of the meetings that he had he had, had inadvertently. But this, as much as it is a challenge, perhaps, you were saying this earlier, you don't know what you did on Tuesday. How are you going to remember to go far back 10 years? Well, the difference being when he filled this form out sometime during the transition between the election and the inauguration, he met with the Russian ambassador, not not some guy named Olaf who, who sold him a blintz at a deli in up, uh, uptown. He met the Russian ambassador. And how you would remove that or forget that or omit that is a little suspicious, don't you think? Not to mention the fact that he was involved with that meeting that Don Jr. set up with Natalia Veselnitskaya, the one who claimed to have dirt on Hillary Clinton. Now, he did walk out of that meeting, but that was also one of those meetings where you don't just ignore the fact that this was a Russian lawyer who came in claiming to be able to change the course of the election. Jared Kushner's top secret clearance was a problem uh, for a long time. May 2018, the White House Counsel's Office, led by Donald McGahn, recommended to the president that Jared not be given a clearance at that level. By the next day, the president ordered John Kelly to grant it to Kushner anyway. Now, this is this is where I think this is this rises to the level of weirdness. Because the, it's the president's son-in-law. The president has always had the legal authority to grant a security clearance. Right. It just rarely happens. Usually, the White House Personnel Security Office makes the determination about whether or not to grant one after the FBI goes through this SF-86 form, the Questionnaire for National Security. And 
after they do their background check. If there's a dispute in the personnel security office, which rarely happens, it would go to the White House counsel. The White House counsel, if there's still some discrepancy, might have to listen to what the president says. The president can weigh in, highly unusual, but it's happened before. The question of Jared Kushner's access to intelligence, they say, was a flashpoint almost from the beginning of the administration. The initial background check, you'll remember, into Jared Kushner dragged on for more than a year. It was a distraction. Why was one of the people closest to the president not given the proper approval to be trusted with the country's most sensitive information? Remember, Jared had his hands in everything. He was called the secretary of everything in, in, in the White House because he was involved with so many matters involving sensitive information, but yet he couldn't pass the background check. What was the holdup? Yeah, and they talk about the FBI and the CIA had questions about foreign business contacts, including uh, those that were related to Israel, those that were related to the United Arab Emirates, and those related to Russia. Those things themselves do not exclude him from getting national security clearance. uh, But it's one of those things that if the intelligence agencies, we've run up against this before in the administration, if the intelligence agencies have questions about things, why are we railroading them through? Because we are a businessman who has relied on nepotism and loyalty for our entire lives, and those aren't things that go away when one becomes president. Um, I think what's frustrating to me is this ongoing discussion about, well, uh, even Ivanka Trump a few weeks ago in an interview with ABC said, my dad had nothing to do with this. The president didn't push this through. He clearly did. The thing is, it's not... Why do you have to hide that? It's the president has the authority to grant a security clearance like this. Stop hiding it. Just say he did. Now, then deal with the backlash of he did it despite the FBI and the CIA saying, let's hold off on this until we can nail down and make sure that he's not beholden to anybody else, that he's not susceptible to blackmail. Those are the concerns that they had about this guy. All right. We um, we are so thankful we talked for weeks now about abducted in plain sight and this is one of those rare times where we get to actually talk to people who have uh, had their hands in this thing from the very beginning we have spent so much time with all of you talking about abducted in plain sight the documentary on netflix about the broberg family and if you were screaming at the television for an hour and a half like we were <laughs> uh Think about the filmmaker and what she must have gone through. Yeah, Sky Borgman. We've mentioned her name before. Sky is an award-winning cinematographer, uh, shot over 50 films, documentaries, traveled all around the world to do these things. And uh, before we get into Abducted in Plain Sight and how that all started, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the movie business. Well, it really was, um, I spent a lot of time traveling and... I just got to a point where I love traveling, I love storytelling, and I love taking pictures. And I thought, well, what can I do that kind of combines all of this? And the only real answer was making films. And specifically, I was interested in documentaries. So I went to film school at USC and uh, figured out how to do that. And from that point on, was was pretty much shooting films and making documentaries. And, and fiction films as well, but, but my real love is documentaries. So how did the Broberg family capture your attention? How did you hear about what went on in Pocatello back in 1974? Yeah, 
I, I'd come across their book. Uh, one of the producers on the film, Stephanie Toby, actually found the book. She and Jan had a mutual friend, and she came to me. She hadn't worked on a documentary before, and she gave me this book, and she was like, what do you think about this? And I read the book, and I was just flabbergasted. I had no I couldn't figure out how something like this could happen. And I really wanted to kind of figure that out. So we met Jan. Uh, Stephanie reached out to Jan. We talked to Jan. And Jan was pretty much ready to tell her story. She'd had an opportunity. When they wrote the book in the early 2000s, she had had kind of an opportunity to, to get her story out there. But I don't think the stars really lined up at that point in time. And so sort of 10 years after the fact, she was she was really ready to get her story out there. Now, the the book itself, um, there's a lot more in the documentary. I should say there are some nuggets of information in, in the uh, documentary that were not in the book. How did you how did you find those things? How did you did you just stumble across them during interviews or was that did that come out in research? Uh, a little bit of both, really. Uh, so. In the, the sexual affairs aren't mentioned in the book. You mean and the parents' sexual affairs, the right? parents' sexual affairs, That's yes. such a big part of it. <laughs> well, I know, and that's what I thought when I read the book. The, it just, the puzzle pieces didn't quite fit together. And so when we had been talking to Jan, she, her mom had been pretty open about her affair and, and was, was okay about talking about it. And so Jan had sort of told us about that when we had done kind of pre-interviews with Marianne. She had mentioned it a little bit. But nobody had really talked about Bob's affair. I mean, it's not, I don't know, I think sometimes women are better at talking about this stuff. And and I know Bob had kind of kept this secret. His family knew about it, but they hadn't told us about it. And so we had managed to get some, some court documents. And throughout the court documents, we found a mention to it. And so when we went in for the interviews, I knew I was going to talk to Marianne about it, but um, I didn't know if Bob was ready to, to tell his story. And when we interviewed him, he voluntarily told this part of his story without me really pushing him I, to tell it. Did and that so, shock you? Yeah, I think it did a, li- a little bit, but I also I think it was very cathartic for him. I think... He had been carrying around this secret for 40 years, and and he was ready to tell the story. And I also think he really knew what an important piece of the puzzle it was and how that his feelings of shame really sort of put blinders on and allowed a lot of this to happen in his family. And I think he finally realized that and that it was important for other people to, to know that part of the story. As a, as a filmmaker, that's got to be one of those moments where you look around at the rest of the crew and you think, somebody better mark that. Yeah. We're, we're going to use that. And then the other part of you, um, is there another part of you as just somebody listening to this heartbreaking story about what happened that uh, you almost forget what you're doing when you're there? You're just listening to this guy tell what is probably an embarrassing and very hard thing for him to say to you. Yeah, and I think his deepest, darkest secret and it was you know i mean i was just behind the camera just crying with him and it's it's really interesting with interviews because it's just such an intimate thing and that's kind of hard i think to wrap your head around because there are these big cameras involved and there are lights but it really is this almost one-way conversation where you have you're giving this person a platform to talk and you're just sitting there 
listening. And it doesn't really happen very often in real life that you just are in a position to completely listen to someone and not jump in and tell your side of the story. And and so I think it really really gives people a lot of power and a lot of confidence and a lot of, of just intimacy to be able to tell their stories. But it was a very it was very emotional for me to be on that side of the camera and listen to these stories. And it's I, I think it's a great honor to um, to be able to go into interviews and have people open up and, and tell their stories to me and and it's a it's a really powerful thing. In that moment with Bob Uh, You feel for him. I felt for him. There was a degree of, gosh, how naive are you? Um, But there was also kind of, uh, uh, you felt bad for Bob, right? Uh, With with Marianne on the flip side for me, I'm screaming. I'm screaming at the television. Uh, How are you able to listen to these stories and not say, well, wait a minute. You're going to have an affair with this guy and you know that he slept with your daughter. What what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, such a complicated thing. And I felt that way. I mean, there were so many times when I felt that way. And and all of the gambit of emotions that I think you felt and that people feel when they're watching it, I've felt all of those things too. And especially during the editing process, because you're not with them emotionally sort of in the same room. And, and when you're putting it together and you're really listening to these stories time after time after time again, there's judgment and there's reflection and there's anger and there's sadness. And, and I think a lot of it, too, was, I mean, I got to know these people pretty well throughout both the interview process and the editing process. And, and yes, their naivete was so incredibly frustrating, but I also I also feel that their I guess their motivation behind telling the story was very noble and and also very brave. I mean, that's where I sort of would try to put myself into their shoes and and say, well, would I ever sit in front of a camera and tell my my story if it was this story? And I just can't imagine ever doing that. So I I also feel like they're. They're pretty brave for telling their story. Sky, can you hang on for a couple segments? We'd love to talk. We have a bunch of questions we have here that we'd love to ask you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Sky Borgman, the award-winning cinematographer, producer, director of Abducted in Plain Sight that you can check out on Netflix that we've talked about for weeks now. Uh, We'll come back and ask some more questions. Gary and Shannon. We are just absolutely ecstatic to have Sky Borgman, cinematographer, producer, director for Abducted in Plain Sight, joining us to talk more about what it took to uh, to get the um, to get Jan and Marianne and Bob and the whole Broberg family to to come in and tell their story about this uh, horrific crime that was perpetrated against them. Uh, by Bob Berktold. If you know the story, we've told you a couple of times that Jan had been kidnapped twice, uh, sexually assaulted by this guy, apparently married while they were in Mexico. I mean, just a and the incredible mental manipulation that this guy perpetrated on this family to get access to the to the 12, 13, 14 year old Jan. And having affairs with both the mother and the father in, in, in a weird way to separate them and to have something to hang over their heads so yeah. he could have access to the little girl. And Sky, where we left off, you were saying that you don't know if this was if this 
was your story if you'd sit in front of the cameras? And that was one of the big questions Gary and I had was, if this is your story and it's, you know, it's an embarrassment and it's known in Pocatello, Idaho, what what makes a family say, let's go national, let's go international, let's let's sit down and get more notoriety for this uh, embarrassing story? Yeah, I I sincerely believe that the Brobergs are hoping that this film saves lives and and opens up people's eyes even even if they're if they've got their blinders on right now that hopefully it's kind of a slow burn where people can kind of go back to this film and go hang on a second I'm feeling this way this guy's looking at my kid kind of funny um, he's looking at me kind of funny and and I know what can happen and I really think that's what prompted them to tell their story is that they want they want people to know that it is not stranger danger. It is someone that you know, love, and trust. It's it's the neighbor down the street. It's the school teacher. It's the cop. It's the husband. It's the wife. It's the grandfather. It's the brother. You know, it's people that you know. It's people that you love. Though that's what I mean. The statistics are are huge when when sexual abuse. It's something like, I don't know if these statistics are exactly right, but it's something like 90% of kids who are sexually abused are abused by somebody that they know. And and it's so hard to accept that, that people put the blinders on. And, and the Brobergs did that. They put the blinders on because they love this guy. And so, so really that is their reason for taking this story, telling their story on such a big national level. In the conversations that we've had about this, either between ourselves or our family members or even on the air when we've done this, I've heard two different reactions to Jan Broberg as an adult. Mm. Number one, she seems so incredibly well-adjusted considering the, the trauma that this this girl went I through disagree. in formative years. I disagree. Or, well, that's the other thing. I don't think there, she's adjusted as at all. I mean, the fact that... that or, or she's... She's not dealing with it. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but she still says that she doesn't she's never experienced the the love in her life after B the way that she experienced it with him. Like yeah. that's the great love of her life. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's <clears throat> it's so interesting because I think it, it to me it really begs begs the question like I don't know that you can ever fully you, you can never get back to normal. Like, this is always going to be a part of your life. And it's not just her life, either. Her life, her sister's life, her parents' life, her her kids' life, her sister's children, their husbands, cousins. I mean, it's, you know, those ripple effects. But I think that Jan, she has done a lot of work, but I don't know if this this love that she she felt for Birchtold at such an impressionable age. I mean, I think about this age of being a 12-year-old little girl, or a little boy, even, and how things that happen to you at that age, they just stay with you for your entire life. And and she definitely feels that way about Birch Told and, and has had relationships with men. But but I don't but she's still working on that and she you know, she's even said she might be working on it for the rest of her life. She's actively working on it, but I don't know that I don't know that you can ever go back to the person you were before this happened. I I think that's impossible. Um, there, there was reference to other women that were victimized, other girls that were victimized and families by, by Birch told, have, have you talked to any of them or have they reached out to you? Have you reached out to them? When we were in the editing process of the documentary, one woman reached out to us. She'd found out about us 
and making that documentary and um we talked to her a little bit and it was really interesting because the she had sort of confirmed the alien story for me because i'd always had a bit of a question about whether the aliens were real or whether that was i guess a coping mechanism for jan and because there was no way of sort of fact checking it there was no way of there were no court transcripts about it jan never talked about it so we weren't able to really confirm that until this woman contacted us and she said that he had told her stories about being an alien princess and and I was like holy cow this is the same this is the same kind of manipulation he used on Jan and so at that moment I was like okay these aliens or at least this story is something that that was practiced and that he used quite a bit so we had talked to her and then the Brobrooks had been in contact with a few of the other women, and and they had given us some contact information for them to reach out to them, and they weren't really interested in, in telling their stories in a public way. Gary and his uh, wife had to take a break while watching this because there <laughs> yeah. was just so much, and I read that you kind of took a break in, in mm-hmm. making the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, it just got to... Uh, for me, what was happening is I just... I didn't feel for anybody anymore, and I just got kind of numb to the whole thing and had lost all of my perspective, and so my editor, uh, James Cood, and I, I just said, you know what, can we just, he had an offer for another job, and I'm like, take it, and he went and edited a comedy, I think, and I, I came back and I redecorated my living room, and... <laughs> Cleanse your palate, in other words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then we came back after about six weeks and and were able to really dive back into it and we could feel again or I could feel again and and it was the best thing that we could have done because it was just it was just kind of a grind at that point and and it was the worst that I just didn't I just didn't care about what was happening to this little girl and to these people and so so it was really critical. That is interesting. You pointed out earlier that you feel like the the Borgman family believes. Sorry, that the um, uh, the Broberg. Broberg family believes that that you know one of the reasons that they wanted to do this is they wanted to help other people. And what my wife and I would do is we would get to certain points in the film and we would pause it and then look at each other and and say to ourselves. Do, are we doing it right? Are we being naive about right. the people that are close to our kids? Are you know? Are, have we? And it's one of those sort of self-check things. Mm. If nothing else, it just begins the conversation of: Are we making sure that we're creating a safe environment and have our antenna up in case somebody is too close? That makes me so happy that you say that because it was it was really my intention from the very beginning. I mean. People don't really talk about child abuse because it is the most awful thing to think about. And and I think it's really easy to blame the Broberg parents. I know a lot of people blame the Broberg parents. But I I really wanted to start the conversation with this film. And, and it's a hard conversation to have, and it's a conversation that people don't want to be having. And so to hear you say that you would stop it and, and just check in with your wife, and a lot of people have said that. And a lot of people have said, look, it makes me really look at my parenting skills. It makes A lot of people have said it makes me feel like a great parent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So that makes me happy that it, 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 it's, 
and it sticks with people. That's the other thing I've heard people oh, yeah. talk about. Uh, it. Yeah, it's been you know? uh, two weeks, and I still it's not one day has gone by that I haven't uh, thought about this film. Sky Borgman is who we're talking about. She is the one who put together Abducted in Plain Sight. Sky, can you hang on? I, I, I feel like you left a lot. Even though the, the documentary was so loaded, I feel like there's so much left on the table, and I want to see what the future holds for this story. Yeah, great. All right, we'll continue with Sky here in just a minute. I will remind her that at the top of the hour, we're going to get into all of our weather stuff. We have some rain coming in this weekend, but it's been a ridiculously wet week in Northern California, and there have been a few uh, counties that have been put under emergency declarations because of flooding up there. We'll talk about that, how cold it was in the month of February as well. Again, more with Sky Borgman from Abducted in Plain Sight in just a couple of minutes. On this March 1st, Free Movie Friday starts today. Adam Tickets ending after this month, so be sure to tune in every Friday for a chance to win before it ends this month. Adam Tickets, the best app to book your movie tickets, wants you to wants to hook you up with some tickets to see A Star is Born Encore in theaters today. Uh, make sure that you, sh- you show up. This film returns to theaters for one week only. Text the word MORNING to Adam1, MORNING to o- uh, sorry, A-T-O-M, and the number 1, your chance to win standard data text message rates may apply. Some police activity in Pasadena right now. They're apparently searching for a stabbing suspect around Green Street in California from Los Roblos to Marengo. They've got a Mayfield Junior High School reported to be on lockdown. Also, the president today claiming that Michael Cohen was shopping a book to publishers that portrayed Trump in a favorable light, calling it a love letter, and says that Congress should subpoena the manuscript as uh, evidence that he was a liar yesterday. Gary and Shannon, we are talking with Sky Borgman, the uh, producer, director, cinematographer for Abducted in Plain Sight, the show that we've kind of been infatuated with for the last couple of weeks. It's won awards. It's getting obviously amazing reviews. She received the accolade of Award of Excellence, Best Documentary. Can we, can we talk about the business of this? Um, not to take away from the Broberg family story, but the the movie itself, Abducted in Plain Sight, the way we see it on Netflix, is that the way it originally appeared when you started taking it on the festival circuit? Yeah, it's exactly the way it was from the moment we started it until today, except for the title. So we did have a title change. It started on the festival circuit, and we called it Forever Be, uh, because that's what they called – that's how Birch told would sign his letters to Jan, was yeah. Forever Be. And that's so that's almost, the title. That's almost creepier yeah, than Abducted in I Plain know. Sight. I, I know. Well, that's what – I mean, we felt that was super creepy. Um, but but some people, like, what does it mean? Like, if you don't have any context for what the film is about, yeah. it was a little bit, it just kind of sent a few people in the wrong direction. And some people like, oh, I thought I was coming in to watch a romance. And I was like, oh, boy, yeah, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. But when Netflix bought the film, um, they suggested a title change uh, because they felt that a title that's more, you know, that makes a promise. It's more representative of what the story is about. Uh, really, their viewers like that better. It, it can lead viewers more to watching the film. So, and we were open to that. And uh, Abducted in Plain Sight was always our log line. So it kind of went hand in hand with Forever Be. And so the title change happened uh, around January of 2018. So the church plays a role in this story, unfortunately. And I feel like that... It, it, 
wasn't really ex- there was just no time to explore it in, in, right. the, in the movie. Yeah, uh, we we would go down that path and we would talk about the church and 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 the Broberg's relationship with the church and Birch Toll's relationship to the church and and also the relationship to. I guess law enforcement and who to go to first, you know, do you go to your bishop first, do you go to law enforcement first and and some of those decisions and how that happened and and every time we started really exploring this and really going down this path, it was a bit of a wormhole and we were like, "Oh my gosh, it totally took us kind of away from the family." And so, we tried it so many times to try to figure out a way and then circle it back around, and there just wasn't there just wasn't the time, I guess, in the in a 90-minute film to go down this path. And so, we made the very specific decision to really keep it the story focused on the Broberg family and their experiences. Um, what about Karen and Susan? What about the two younger sisters to Jan? How how are they doing, and how have they responded to this? To they the story? are doing incredibly well. I mean, it's it's been it's been tough on all of the Broberg women because uh, there's been such a pretty violent backlash against her parents, and and Bob Broberg uh, passed away last November, right. so he hasn't. He hasn't felt the backlash, um, but his daughters have, his, his wife has, and, and that, I, I mean, I, I lost my father in 2015, and I can't imagine how much more heartbreaking it would be to read negative things about my dad months after he passed away. Mm-hmm. So it's been tough on them, um, but I'll tell you, it's also part of the story that I would love to explore if I get an opportunity to do, to do more about this is how this affected Jan's sisters, because it's, it's a very long-reaching, I think, cycle of abuse, really, and how they recovered or how this abuse still affects them today in relationship to, you know, guilt that they may feel about how they respond to Jan, or can they ever get mad at Jan because this awful trauma happened yeah, to her. Yeah, they, they seemed the most tortured to me. Uh, this, I, the well, I think especially uh, Karen, the middle sister, she she remembers so much. She's got this phenomenal memory, and and the way she approached the situation was she wanted to know everything that was going on, and so she really paid attention. Susan was, was quite a bit younger and so doesn't remember a lot of it, but I think with Karen, it's really the events that happened then have really stuck with her, and I think also... You know, as these women have gone gone from being girls to young adults to adult women and having their own families, all of these events that happened when they were little girls are still with them today. The one, the one image that you when you mentioned Karen, the one image that sticks in my mind is when uh, Jan calls. Yes, from, me I guess too. From, from I California. just thought about that. And the tape, yeah. the tape is rolling, and Karen gets so excited that yeah. Jan is on the phone. Yeah. And she's just, you know, know, she loses control. Gives basically. me chills. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, in terms of, you know, the material that you still have, the potential questions that still could be answered in in another movie about this family and the situation, uh, how do you how do you go forward? Do you have to get um, do you have to get funding to do this? What would drive a sequel to this or a second chapter to this? And have you talked to the family about that possibility? Yeah. Yeah, well, we've, it's very interesting because it's, you know, I mean, that's part of what, what 
what so many people have been saying, I want, I want more. I want to know. I want to know more about the LDS Church. I want to know more about the, you know, context about where the FBI was. I want to know more about so many things. And I would, I would love to sort of further explore this. I think it really would require require funding and and sort of me kind of sitting down and really figuring out a way to to get more of the story out there and and I would love to do that. I think it would be I think it would be a great way to to kind of answer a lot of the questions that people have. It's just amazing. Uh Sky Borgman, uh cinematographer, director, producer of Abducted in Plain Sight and a bunch of other other things shot 50 films and documentaries and again like we said traveled all around the world. Uh Sky, we in in I don't know if this is the right way to say it. We loved the movie. We loved Abducted in Plain Sight. In that, it prompted. I, I think it did what you intended. In that, it prompted questions. It prompted discussion. And for us, I mean, it's been a topic of discussion in our homes, in our, on the air, in the yeah, office. We've gotten for more weeks. feedback from from listeners to this than 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 really anything. Um, yeah. And and after talking to you today. I feel like you are the perfect filmmaker to get this story from the family because oh, you do have you. a lot of compassion and, and non-judgment and it, and it very easy to talk to. And I think that your role uh, taking this story and, and publicizing it um, was a big part of, of how successful it's been, too. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's great to hear. Again, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll keep an eye on you if you need any help with anything. Not that we can do anything, but <laughs> never well, mind. Well, just, just taking the time to talk to me has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Breaking news coming up after Amy's news about plastic straws in Los Angeles. Oh, no! That is awesome. What is awesome? Skyboard, but she's awesome. She is awesome. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, so the L.A. City Council has approved an ordinance under which all L.A. restaurants will be banned from automatically giving customers plastic straws. They're going to have to deploy more of the straw police. Thank God. I wonder if they're hiring. President Trump says he walked away from that failed summit with Kim Jong-un because Kim demanded that the U.S. lift all sanctions. The North Koreans called a rare late-night news conference to deny that. Two senior officials insisted that Kim had only asked for partial sanctions relief in exchange for shutting down North Korea's main nuclear complex. The uh, the issue in the New York Times today, we're going to talk more about this when we get into Swamp Watch, is whether or not the president ordered his chief of staff to grant Jared Kushner a security clearance, even after the FBI and the CIA uh, sort of dragged their feet on this and said, we want to look into this guy a little bit more before we give him an official clearance. The FBI had done a background check, but apparently the president came in, was impatient, and suggested to uh, to John Kelly that he do it right away. There's some allegations, perhaps, that he went uh, above and beyond what he was supposed to do as president, although it's perfectly within his purview to do so, whether or not he should have done that when the FBI was saying, hey, let's check into this stuff. This guy's foreign contacts. Quite the chaos last night at the Texas death chamber. Oh, that, was a, that is a brilliant story. Billy Coble was sentenced to death for the murders in 1989 of his estranged wife's parents and brother, and his son 
last night, as soon as the father spoke the last words, the son started pounding on the chamber windows, shouting obscenities, throwing fists. Officers stepped in, eventually arrested him uh, on charges of resisting an officer. Yeah, him and a friend, I guess, that were there. And then a sister-in-law was also super emotional during the whole thing. Man, we haven't seen one of those events at an execution in quite a long time. Right. Well, Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency in five Northern California counties where severe storms have led to flooding. It's cut off a couple towns. They've become islands. I'm I'm uh, surprised that we haven't seen more of this. Uh, when I lived in Northern California, Guerneville flooded all of the time. It seemed like it was uh, one of those, I, I think one of the Sonoma County officials described it as a flashy river. Anytime there was a significant rainstorm, they would tell people in Guerneville all along the Russian River, hey, it's time to pack up and move out or at least be ready to be on your own for a couple of days. 3,600 people in about 24 communities near the Russian River were evacuated. Now, the there are a bunch of different places, different ways you can measure this. One rain gauge near Guerneville reported 20 and a half inches of rain in 48 hours. Wow. Anytime you get that much rain anywhere, there's going to be significant flooding. But in this case, the river had gone up 12 feet above flood stage. Now, again, the even before it gets to flood stage, the Russian River will flood certain parts of those communities. When it's at flood stage, you can imagine that several of them are going to be underwater and then add 12 feet on top of that. 2,000 homes and buildings had flooded throughout Guerneville and Monterio. Rescuers saved about 40 people that were stuck in floodwaters. And they said that there were 89 roads that were closed uh, throughout this area. There was also a strange story farther up north on the coast, uh, Ferndale, almost on the coast there, where a guy was trying to wade through water to get to his kids. I guess he was going from a barn or from his home. No, try it again. From a barn to his home. And to get there, he had to walk through water that was as deep as five feet. The current carried him away. And his body was found yesterday. Ugh. That's just terrible. I mean, they told they told people, hey, listen, if you don't evacuate, you're going to be on your own for days. You could be marooned for days. And, and a lot of people st- stuck around. Uh, Dane Pitcher is one of them, 70 years old, watched from the third story window of his bed and breakfast, the Rayford Inn in Healdsburg, beautiful area. And saying, we have waterfront property now. Yeah. We're marooned for all intents and purposes. We got a 100-acre lake out in front now that I didn't have two days ago. Um, if you live in that area, you're used to this. If you bought property in the area, chances are your real estate agent uh, told you, hey, just so you know, if you buy anywhere near the floodplain, you're going to be have to, out of, have to be out of your house once or twice a year. The flood was just taking everything with it. Uh, one woman was watching from, from her back patio with binoculars. She says, I've seen coolers and propane tanks and kayaks and soda syrup dispensers going down, a water heater. I can see a tree right now. So, of course, it's probably not a good idea to wade through that. It's one thing to be affected by a a flood like this. Trust me, I know. Yes, Dennis, birthday cake, I get it. But it's another thing to watch it. It's, It's incredible to be able to see from a slight distance the power uh, that floodwaters can can have. So when you were watching Abducted in Plain Sight mm-hmm. 
and you saw B get close to the family and bring things to the kids. Yes. Did you think about Dennis? Making, no. You didn't. I did. I didn't know. Again, I didn't know Dennis. My my mother played uh, softball with his wife, Nancy. Mm-hmm. So that's the only way I knew of him. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yet he still made you a birthday cake. Yeah, because he felt bad for me. There's just something with that. Now, hold on a second. If I had a friend whose kid had lost his house, I mean, I didn't lose my house, but I was out of my house, and I lost a bunch of clothes and toys and stuff. Your wife would probably make the cake. You wouldn't. You wouldn't think in your head, I'm going to make that kid a birthday cake. No. And what if I did? If I did, would you call me a pervert? I'd, I'd ask questions. I don't know. You wouldn't say that's nice? I don't think I had any contact. It's just odd. I don't think I had any contact with him after that. I, I can't recall well, any well, maybe, other event that we ever did with your the family. parents were like, why is Dennis bringing Gary a cake? Let's cut off contact with that guy. And that's why you never talk to him again. You may recognize that your natural gas bill is also high this month because this is the coldest, or this was last month, the coldest February we've seen in I some time. I think you dodged a bullet with that guy. At least 132 years, this is the first time in Los Angeles that the mercury has not reached 70 degrees in downtown for the entire month of February. The average for the high was 61 degrees, which is 7 degrees below normal. Just something to think about. I don't think it was an issue. I don't think. Well, I think that they cut off contact. There could be some suppressed memories there. Oh, I take that back. I I I actually worked for him for one day. When I was uh, about 16 years old, uh-huh. he and he had hired a couple of guys and me. Mm-hmm. And we were cleaning up a, a work yard that he had. Yeah. Was it warm that day? No. Okay. I'm curious about that. L.A. County transportation officials want to make driving remember his last name. more expensive. Did he pay you in cash? Yeah. <laughs> But but I only worked for him for a day. Okay, so L.A. County transportation officials are trying to tackle traffic. And so their answer is to make driving more expensive. I'm sorry for bringing that up. Are you going to call your mom? Yes. Let's get to the bottom of this Dennis mystery. And driving. More expensive. (laughs) I think we're just uncovering a, a wound here. From long ago. Uh, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. When is our Flashback Friday? 1986. 86? Yeah, 86. Because last week it got taken over by the Top Gun soundtrack. Which was brilliant. We're going to follow a bunch of stories. Um, at 12.30, we'll jump back into Swamp Watch, get into what's going on in Washington, D.C. The president, by the way, he doesn't have any events scheduled today. I assume this is sort of a catch-up day when it comes to, you know, traveling to Vietnam and back, et cetera. Uh, but there are there is at least one more name that has entered into the 2020 Democratic field, and that is Governor Jay Inslee from Washington State, who is making environmental climate change his number one issue we are asking for your suggestions on how what or what we're going to call our update on 2020 segment we're going to obviously be getting regular updates to who's jumping into the election the infighting all the drama and so far we've got some great stuff happening here let's see here um trump against the world 2020 high-speed train wreck that's pretty good Nothing you can say on the radio? 
Call it not this S again. Send in the clowns 2020. The liars run of 2020. America's next liar 2020. That's pretty good. It's all good. It's all good information. It's going to be hard to pick exactly who gets to win that contest. Like, can you bring up the phone? Fo- oh, never mind. You had the phone on. I've had the phone on hold for it. Do you guys know what a busy signal sounds like? Like when you call somebody and they're on the phone and you get a busy, get a busy signal? It's like a boop, boop, Okay. Boop, yeah, just making sure. My parents boop, are the only ones in America who still do not have call waiting because they think it's rude. It is. So uh, I just tried to call them again and the, the you know, it's funny phone. that your parents I'm, have I'm, that. My 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 mom, if I'm on the phone with her, and I could be telling her, like, I could be in tears right. uh, on you the side on the, the side of like a that? road. Mm-hmm. You know, I just got into a car wreck, and uh, mom, and I'm bleeding. As soon as that beep comes through, I see a light. Hold on, uh, hold on one second, honey. She always takes the call waiting call, <laughs> no matter what the conversation is. Well, it may like, be it who, may be your brother on the side of the road who sees the light at the time then too. Yeah, so. she would totally take that call over me. I'll call you back, Shani. That's for sure. Uh, no, I was trying to ask my parents. I don't even remember what Dennis's last name is. Was yeah. Is. I assume he's still around. I don't know. Um, and he had two daughters, but they were my sister's age, so they were older. Hmm. We'll 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 figure out the the Dennis story at some point. And the thing is, you could probably call him. He's not going to remember me or the fact that he made. Is he? I don't know. That's what the mystery is. All right. Well, maybe I'll ask my sisters. They might know. Yeah. Good All idea. Right. All right. L.A. County transportation officials have taken their biggest steps yesterday toward making driving in this area more expensive. They're approving studies on how to impose more tolls, taxes. Or other fees on Uber and the like. I don't. I don't understand how this makes any logical sense to somebody who's sitting in L.A. City Hall. Congestion pricing. Well, the, the idea is, is they want you out of your cars and in van pools. Here's the thing that the Metropolitan Transportation Authority should focus on: fixing public transit. So that it is a more comprehensive system. If I could take light rail from my town to Burbank, I would do that. But as it stands, I've got to make three train changes and it'd take me longer than right. sitting in bumper to bumper traffic every morning. Provide me with a good product and I'll use it. Right. Don't force me to use the product that sucks and smells like vomit and BO. And then tax me when I don't want to use it. I, I guess I, I'm... Anyway, there's a study out there that suggests, um, or they're they're trying to do these studies. One will analyze the effects on traffic if you and I are charged a per mile tax or or an entry fee to certain neighborhoods. I don't know how that's going to hold up in court because it's going to be a tax on the poor. Uh, Who has to drive the furthest to work? Probably people who can't afford to live near their jobs. They want to find out also um, how many trips are made by Uber and Lyft and what effect these four hire cars do have on traffic congestion and whether adding a fee might shift some riders towards carpooling or public transit. Time out. Time out. Time out. One of the massive, massive uh, problems that plagues a metropolitan area like Los Angeles, especially on the weekends, but some also during the week, is people drinking and driving. And one of the one of the massive innovations that has come along to I hope I, I maybe this is me putting on my rose colored glasses, 
But I hope to cut down on that is something like Uber or Lyft where you have a I am going to be at your doorstep in four minutes ride and take you wherever you want to go throughout Southern California, basically. I think that that's a massive positive influence that Uber and Lyft have had on our society. Yeah, every once in a while you're going to talk about whether they uh, they add to congestion, but the, you're never alone in an Uber car. Think about that. You're never alone. If that's the ultimate van pool, carpool, HOV lane use right there, you're never alone in that lift. I saw a, a van pool, van to work, or some crap today, as I was sitting <laughs> you don't in traffic, to say that. and I. Th- said to myself out loud, self, that is my hell. Like the idea of carpooling to work in a van with people I don't know but work near me seems like complete hell. A friend of ours. Like depression-inducing, forced togetherness, first thing in the morning, no thank you, never going to happen. And but, I, I don't want to carpool, so be, you're going to tax me. You're, you're thinking like everyone's going to take away my freedom hey, to drive alone. what did you guys alone. have for dinner last night? Have you seen abducted in plain sight that's, yet? That's exactly no, what I, it is. I don't think that's the case. Oh, uh, I do. A friend of mine uh, was a retired CHP officer who drove van pool like that from our hometown into San Francisco every day, which is about 30 miles, 35 miles, and loved it. Made money on it uh, in that he would charge the people however much money. It was an eight or ten passenger van, something like that. He... Loved it. And the people were regulars for the most part. They were regulars. So after a while, it was okay, but it was never a – there were never forced conversations or anything like that. It was almost more like a, a airport shuttle style thing where you were strangers enough that the conversation wasn't going to be – Yeah, but that's an eight be... or ten van. The, the vans I saw today are like the, you know, the family van. They're too close for comfort. When the snacks are like somebody made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and cut it into quarters – or somebody's eating like oatmeal that's smelling up the whole thing, and somebody's playing bad music. It's just it's it's a recipe for disaster to throw people together like that first thing in the morning. Uh, the each of these studies they say is going to take a year or two and examine how a, free, a fee structure could affect traffic flow, transit ridership, and well, like you said, low income commuters. I remember one of the uh, carpool moms who I adore had a thing with Celine Dion music. This is circa like 1993, <laughs> 1992 maybe. Yeah. And uh, I went to school depressed every day. I mean, you listen to Celine Dion from 1992 and your heart is broken and you don't know why because you're 12. The key is later on, she tells you that your heart will go on. She hadn't gotten there yet. Ah, that was the late 90s. Uh, this is just, it's silliness that LA Metro is looking at the potential for charging you to drive into certain areas and not not putting together a product. That if they want you in those van pools, if they want you on those trains, if they want you in buses, make them appealing. Make, that, make a product that people want to use and people will go to it. All right. The Fred Hall Show is back. Uh, do not miss one of America's largest fishing and boat shows In the western United States, we have tickets to the upcoming Fred Hall Show at the Long Beach Convention Center starting next week, actually, March 6th through the 10th. The ultimate experience, hunting, camping, fishing, diving, off-road vehicles, and water sports. Get all the info at fredhall.com. But we have a four-pack of tickets for you as well. Caller number 6, 1-800-520-1KFI, 800-520-1KFI. Three, four. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's time to call. Let's call. Yeah. Uh, FredHall.com. Remember we told you the story of that trail runner who encountered a mountain lion 
uh, that that charged him and he was able to fight off the mountain lion. We got a little heat. We got a little heat about uh, telling this guy's story. Somebody wanted the mountain lion to kill him? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. We'll dive into it. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. And Shannon, we've got Swamp Watch coming up at 1230. A lot to get to today. One of my favorite stories to talk about is the president is claiming that Michael Cohen was shopping a book to publishers that was what Trump calls a love letter to Trump. It says that Congress should demand the manuscript as evidence that Cohen's testimony this week was fraudulent and dishonest. Of course, Cohen called uh, Trump a racist, a con man and a liar. When he testified on Wednesday, the uh, the 2020 presidential campaign just got a little bit bigger. We saw Governor Jay Inslee from Washington State announced that he is going to get into the race. Knew that he was at least planning it, but he came out today with a video that explained that climate change is his number one issue. Also, we told you yesterday how Beto O'Rourke came up with a decision about whether or not he's going to run, but hasn't told anybody what he's going to do. He went to a Metallica concert after after making his decision because that's how cool Beto O'Rourke is. That's how super cool. Metallica, uh, they're grandfathers now, right? I yep. mean, they were cool in – I mean, they, I, I love Metallica. Blake could easily play a Metallica song as one of our bumper music selections for today. Anyway, uh, all right. We told you the story about that runner from Colorado, Travis Kaufman. He was attacked earlier this month while jogging at the – Horsetooth Mountain Open Space did a long interview about his ordeal. Oh, yeah. Pretty bummed out to see a mountain lion chasing after me. Okay, yes. Uh, he went on to talk about how they had to they tumbled down the mountain, etc. And down there just kind of had a, a little wrestling match, at which point I was able to get on top of it. Uh, key word right there, little. Little wrestling match. Now, he talked about how this, this cat had its... Uh, his claws and his teeth, and he was bearing down. And he had to fight the guy and, and punch him in the and poke his eyes, and then finally strangle the ever living life out of this mountain lion that was about to kill him. A ten minute struggle. Ten. That's got to be ridiculous. That's a lot of cardio right there. Well, it turns out that that mountain lion was a kitten. Oh no! You mean like a cute little like I could hold it in the like a teacup no, kitten? No, 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 like a forty pound kitten. So for the people who said that we were hailing this guy as a hero and he killed a kitten, this was a kitten that could have killed said man. I will say this. You know I'm a fan of mountain lions. Uh, I really want to build that bridge. But? Over the 101, you know, so that the mountain lions can procreate with mountain lions that that they're not related to. But here's the thing. These encounters are extremely rare. Human encounters with mountain lions, it just doesn't happen. And the risk of an attack is even smaller than that. They say you're more likely to drown in your bathtub, be killed by a pet dog, or hit by lightning. That mountain lions don't have any natural urge to hunt people. If they did, there would be attacks every day. But they don't. They avoid us. They say never to approach or corner a mountain lion. And you know what the worst thing you can do? Look like a deer. Look like a deer would be number one. But the thing you're more likely to do, Mm -hmm. 
run. That's the worst thing you can do. If you run, you are going to trigger their their hunting urge there. So don't run. This guy was trail running. So there you go. They say that what you're supposed to do is maintain eye contact, stand tall, look bigger by opening your coat or raising your arms. Take your shirt off and wave it around. Slowly wave your arms. Speak firmly. Throw items at the lion if necessary. And give the cat room and time to move on. But they say in the rare event of an attack, fight back. Um, we did get a couple of messages, one, that suggested that we were glorifying Travis Kaufman for killing a mountain lion. This is not a guy who walked out and thought to himself, hey, you know what would be fun today? This is not Eric Trump. He's not trophy hunting. Right. Uh... Well, he shouldn't have been jogging in the wilderness because it's the cat's territory. He should have jogged in his own home or something like that. Um, I find it very hard to believe that someone with that mentality. Uh, now, granted, they probably would never go jogging out in the wilderness in the first place on the off chance that they did have to fight an animal for their life. But I don't know what the better option is. The better option is the guy just sits there and lets the cat eat his throat. Or chew his eyeballs out or gnaw on his leg until it becomes a bloody stump and he bleeds out dying, crying for his mother? I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like, yes, I know it was a kitten and that makes a nice headline, but it's a 35 to 40-pound missile with giant teeth and razor-sharp claws that's trying to get inside of you. Yeah, not to mention this guy's got the wounds to prove his claim that the teeth were entering the skin. In several different places. Entering the skin. And and by the way, this Travis guy, slight. 5'10", 150? Slight. I don't think I weighed 150 pounds since I was a senior in high school. I have something depressing to report. Out of D- depressing or pressing? Depressing. Depressing. Are you ready? Yep. Out of the nine top trends on Twitter in the United States... Seven of them are about the Chloe slash Tristan slash Jordan mess. Why? The entire country on Twitter is only talking about this. Well, we were going to do Terror in the Skies next. Should we do Terror in the Tabloids next? We can do both. No, I don't want to do both. You don't want to do both? I don't want to do both. Well, we're going to have to talk about it at some point because it went it, it went next level today because Chloe went to Twitter to complain publicly about Jordan's apology on Red Table Talk. How does how do the Jonas Brothers feel about this? Because their song came out today and they're getting overshadowed by Tristan and Jordan and yeah. Chloe. You can't see it. But when I said the J word, Isabella's head snapped. Isabella out. is nuts for up. the Jonas we Brothers. Go Oh my gosh, she blushes. It's so cute. It is very funny. She's like, uh, she's like, well, I, I, because I, 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 I don't have a lot of reference points for the Jonas Brothers. No. Like I remember them being like kids and singing together and everything. 
And so I said to Isabella, I saw your uh, post on the uh, Jonas Brothers. Seems like you're real excited for this video. And she's like, well, I didn't know who Luke Perry was, and he was a big deal to you. I was like, I know. It's true. Listen, old lady. It, totally. I, I didn't say it like that. No, you didn't. No, you I didn't, didn't say it like that. No, Give you didn't. Kind of... <laughs> it was totally funny. Because it's like, you know, when she was growing up, I mean, she's 22. When she was growing up, the Jonas Brothers were uh, like Luke Perry in 1992. Makes perfect sense. Right? Yeah. All right, we have a terror in the skies when we come back. Uh, don't forget, we have Swamp Watch coming up at 1230. And by the way, if you missed Sky Borgman, the director of Abducted in Plain Sight, we're going to talk to her again coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. How's that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Terror Gary in Chan, the skies. Amy King. That. Yep, everybody. Everybody say something at the same time. <laughs> Shannon, gosh, we have so much going on this March. We are putting together our baby animal bracket for March Madness, which we do each March. Don't shake your head. You know you enjoy this as well. I'm not the only one. I didn't get my, uh, I I got my University of Maryland, Baltimore County t-shirt last year after the Retrievers beat Virginia, the only number 16 seed to be number one seed. I haven't gotten my Oxalotls t-shirt yet. Who did the Oxalotl beat? I don't know if they beat anybody, but I'm still pulling for them. Yeah. Well, we will be unveiling this, and what happens is baby animals go head-to-head, and you vote on which one is cuter, and then they advance, and then we are left with one winner at the end of the month. Also coming up in a couple weeks, St. Patrick's Day, and to celebrate... We are going to have a news and oh, brews. Right. Somebody told me about that. News and brews Friday, March 15th. Where? This is going to be at Old Stump Brewery. Old Stump Brewing Company in Pomona on Metropolitan Place. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. I love this idea. Are we going to talk about news? We'll do news. Are we going to have brews? We'll drink brews. Oh, that's fantastic. Fine, Old. crafted beer. Let me... Uh, let me go down the menu here of the beers. Of Old Stump Brewery for our news and brews coming up on Friday, March 15th. There's a light beer called Muffin Top. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one <laughs> called uh, Hugh Hef. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hoppy Beers. You're into that. Yeah. There's one called the Red Hammock. Ooh, I like the that. The Grapefruit IPA. Okay, I'm yeah, in. I'm in. like that. I'm not, I, as long as it's not like a banana IPA or something, I'm good. Here's a P-Town Porter for Pomona. All right. Rusty Gasket. Is that a... That's a beer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. I don't know if that was like a euphemism for something. I I think a lot of them are euphemisms. (laughs) It's going to be a great time. Uh, What a great fit. Old Stump Brewing Company coming up on uh, in Pomona, coming up on Friday, March 15th. So two weeks from today, you got plenty of time to start planning. Come on out. And the cool thing is we just... um, I talked with executive producer Michelle about what's been going on. She says we're going to have stuff to give away. Like new stuff, not not like trash that we bring from our office, but but new stuff. <laughs> Do you think that the management started getting embarrassed of us because we would literally bring <laughs> crap from our hoarder's office? Hey, everybody, you <laughs> get a half-eaten box of unicorn cereal. Lucky you. Yes. Uh, again, Old Stump Brewery for our next news and brews in Pomona coming up on Friday, March 15th. Time for Terror in the Skies. Flight 209, you are cleared for takeoff. 
Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. I feel like I know this guy. Uh, just that someone is trying to be a little over-friendly and then being upset when you're not accepting of his over-friendliness. Who are you thinking of? I don't know, but I just feel like there's there's an, there's an a weird... Like Steve Gregory? No, I have always accepted his friendliness. Okay. He's very open. The thing with Steve Gregory's hugs is they are powerful, <laughs> and once you get a Steve Gregory hug... They're intoxicating. You smell like Steve Gregory for the rest of the day. But it's it's a a good thing. It's a fresh scent. Yes. Almost like an Irish Spring It is like an Irish Spring. I wonder if that's what he uses. Nikita Gross was waiting for his flight to New York to leave Sheremetyevo Airport in Moscow. Nick, will you find out what kind of soap Steve Gregory uses? When he spotted a fellow American 15 rows in front of him. How do you do that? You've been to Moscow. Yes. When no, you got on I the, have not. You've I've been, been to, to Russia? Petersburg. Okay. Yeah. So you've been in the uh, in the fatherland uh, when, or whatever they call it. When you got on the plane to leave, did you go in the, did you think, oh my gosh, that they, look at you, you're an American. You, I'm an American. You can tell the difference oh, really? between Russians and Americans. Okay. Right. One of the, one of the telltale signs is Russians do not smile. It is very grim faced. Very, nobody smiles. It's just very frown. It's a very frowny place. <laughs> Russia is a very frowny place. Well, Nikita spots a fellow American 15 rows in front of him. Also, sometimes you can tell an American from anybody else because they look like America. They're all wearing Yankees hats. That or, you know, maybe. Cowboy hat. Cowboy hat or a. A T-shirt with what the the the, the team that beat the 16 seed, UMBC. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikita captures the moment that that guy, that fellow American dressed in a smart lilac shirt, it says, suddenly becomes annoyed, storms up towards a couple that was standing in the aisle and shouting at them, "I'm going to shake your hand." The couple's clearly disturbed by the irate man who repeatedly says over and over. I'm going to shake your hand. They step backwards nervously as another passenger sits down and tries to hold him back. Uh, he continues. Uh, another guy, appearing to be the pilot, steps in between the two parties. And even that doesn't stop him from shouting, I'm going to shake your hand, <laughs> you stupid son of a bee. He then says, I'm not an idiot. He's the effing idiot. Americans. Oh, Seriously. man. Uh, another video shows this guy being arrested inside the airport, and he says, uh, the uh, the handshake caught me off. Nikita, the guy who was recording this in the first place, uh, the handshake caught me off guard. I was about 15 rows away, and I could not hear the main argument. But the uh, it's believed that he was arrested in the airport. Uh, I was relieved the angry man was kicked off the plane because the flight was 10 hours. We I, I revel in this. Watching somebody get kicked off a plane. My wife has a story also of seeing somebody get kicked off a plane, but in a very casual sense. There was I don't remember what the woman was complaining about, but she was complaining about sitting somewhere and she didn't want to sit there. To the point where she's on the phone with the airline from the plane before they take off. She's on the phone with the airline customer service complaining about the conditions or whatever it was. The flight attendants come down the aisle and 
they say to her, ma'am, if you'd follow me, we have different arrangements for you. And she assumes that means they're going to take her up to first class. Right. So uh, take her ass off they the They take plane. her, they walk her, one on either side of her. They walk her down the aisle, and instead of stopping in first class, they just keep pushing her out the airplane, close the door, pull back from the gate, and take off. If there's something relieving about watching somebody get escorted, some Apple yeah. who thinks yeah. they're better than the other 200 people on that airplane right. get escorted off of that flight. And the applause that erupts when they finally get escorted off the plane is yes, fantastic. I do enjoy it. We, uh, it happened to Oscar and I, actually, when we were coming back from the convention in Philadelphia late at night. It's 930, 10 o'clock. It's been a long week. We're, it's going to be a four or five hour flight, whatever it is, back to L.A. And a guy was complaining that he didn't, didn't get water because we'd been stuck in the in the plane for 30 or 45 minutes before they were going to take off. And he was complaining he wasn't going to get water. Finally, the cops from the Philadelphia airport come onto the plane and tell him if he doesn't pipe down, he's going to get escorted off the plane. Well, that didn't stop him. Finally, they say, fine, come with us. They pull him up out of the seat. They walk him down the aisle. He's way in the back of the airplane. So he's got to walk down the entire aisle of this airplane. Was it a slow clap? No. People are yelling at him like, get out of here. You're the ass. Just because he wanted water? Just because he wanted water. But he was being a jerk about the whole thing. So everybody claps. He's like, you know, the, the flight attendants come on. They're like, okay, well, if anybody wants some water, just please raise your hand, which was kind of a joke. The guy had to come back in the airplane because he forgot his bag oh in the overhead. God. He walked all the way back down the aisle. Walk of shame. Oh, it's so great. That's, that was so that fantastic. Great. Okay, coming up next, big hour. Did you hear about the guy who didn't want to pay up on his Super Bowl bet? He went to quite great lengths to avoid paying up. We'll tell you his story and everything that's trending, plus the Kardashian news. Shannon, at the bottom of the hour, when we jump into Swamp Watch, talk about a bunch of stories, including the newest name in the race for president. Talk about uh, Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden called Mike Pence a decent guy and then had to walk back his comments. You can't even say that that guy is decent. Not anymore. Apparently, you got to be rude. Uh, You've got to be bombastic. You've got to barge into Diane Feinstein's office with children and cut her off repeatedly. It's this new era of no manners. Love it. Caller number six is going to win a four-pack of tickets to the upcoming Fred Hall Show at the Long Beach Convention Center, March 6th through the 10th. Do not miss out. This is going to be one of America's largest fishing and boat shows in the western United States. The ultimate camping, uh, hunting, fishing, diving, off-road vehicles, and water sports. Get all the information at fredhall.com. Again, we have a four-pack of tickets to give away to caller number six, 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. Yeah, it's time to call. Come, Come on, it's time, time to call. call. Let's call. Yeah. For the Fred Hall Show at the Long Beach Convention Center, March 6th through the 10th. Hey. Yeah. What else are people talking about? Time for What's Happening. Well, if you look at Twitter, the only things trending are the problems between the Kardashians. Jordan, Chloe, Tristan, 
uh, that whole bit, the cheating scandal. Uh, but we're going to just shelve that and talk about things that actually matter, like the rain. The rain is back, a storm brewing over the Pacific. It's going to bring heavy rain over this weekend. It's going to start late tonight, probably about 10 o'clock. It arrives in Santa Barbara County, and then heavier rain is going to arrive Saturday. We could get an up to an inch of rain in the L.A. area tomorrow. This has been a fun, uh, fun winter. No, it's been like a real winter, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't. I want a pony I know. on Sunshine Rainbow Street. Yes, that sounds lovely. Uh, we have had a lot of rainbows, though, which has been very cool. But no unicorns that we know of, that we know of. Uh, we have a new candidate for the Democratic nomination for president. His name, let me, ladies and gentlemen, introduce you to Governor Jay Inslee from Washington State. It is our moment to solve America's most daunting challenge and make it the first, foremost, and paramount duty of the United States, and that is to defeat climate change. Okay, I will say early in the 10 o'clock hour, I said that he has a speech impediment. It is nowhere near as pronounced as I remember it from 15 years no, ago. No, I think he's worked on it a I wonder lot. If that's the case. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Jay Inslee doesn't have a lot of national name recognition, no. but I like the idea that he wants to just get publicity for what he thinks should be a major topic in the election, which is climate change. Yeah, I mean, I think that him doing that definitely forces the issue in terms of it will be brought up in whatever uh, series of debates we see between the now officially 10 candidates who have officially announced uh, that they will be running for the Democratic nomination. It's something that the president doesn't believe in, and the latest poll from Politico said that 58% of those polled do believe in climate change. I I have some experience with Jay Inslee, only that I interviewed him uh, probably a dozen times in the time that I was living and working in Seattle— And he, being a member of Congress, was by far the most approachable, the most responsive member of the congressional delegation from Washington State that I ever worked with. Yeah, he was really nice. I compare him to Tom McClintock uh, on the other side of the aisle here, though. Uh, Tom McClintock, always super approachable, always ready to do an interview. Such a nice guy. Yeah. All right. Crazy times last night at the Texas Death Chamber. This was a man who killed Robert and Zelda Vika and their son, Bobby. These were the parents of his estranged wife and her brother. Happened in 1989, just northeast of Waco, Texas. Since Texas resumed capital punishment in the early 80s, Billy Coble was the oldest person to have been put to death at the age of 70. Um, when When he made a final statement last night before his execution, all he said was, That'll be $5. What does that mean? He told five witnesses he selected to be in the audience that he loved them and then again said, that'll be $5. Take care. He gasped several times, began snoring. A prosecutor once described him as having a heart full of scorpions. Yeah, but this thing got crazy because his son, after he finishes his statement, his son... A friend and a daughter-in-law all become super emotional and violent. Yelling they... obscenities. They're throwing fists. They're kicking at people in the death chamber witness area. The officers that are nearby obviously had to step in. But the two guys, the two men were handcuffed and arrested for, uh, uh, arrested for resisting officers. So he was pronounced dead at uh, 624 last night, Texas time. Tesla is now pricing the Model 3 at thirty-five grand. 
that means that uh, they're hitting the price point that they've been trying to reach for a long time here. The cheapest Model 3 that could be ordered before this was about 42900 You driven one of these? No, but I want to. Have you ridden in one of them? No. Oh, my gosh. I just kind of lurk around people that have Teslas, um, you know, like in, in parking lots and stuff. <laughs> I just kind of like lurk a little bit outside the window to get a I can glimpse. see you looking in yeah. and then somebody saying, ma'am, right. excuse me, what are you doing to my car? Uh, no, amazing, amazing technology, amazing rides. I understand Consumer Reports has pulled back a little bit on their Tesla 3, their Model 3 recommendations only because there are some issues that are cropping up, but for the most part, they are amazing vehicles. Catherine Hellman has died. Remember from Who's the Boss, the Mom, uh, Everyone Loves Raymond as well, 89 years old, apparently had Alzheimer's. Died at her home. Uh, she made her stage debut in the 50s and 60s. Her big breakthrough in the 70s when she starred in the sitcom Soap. She earned four Emmy nods and a Golden Globe for her role as Jessica Tate. Alyssa Milano, of course, uh, worked with her on Who's the Boss. and She wrote on Twitter today, my beautiful, kind, funny, gracious, compassionate rock. You were an instrumental part of my life. You taught me to hold my head above the marsh. You taught me to do anything for a laugh. What an example you were. Rest in peace. I Catherine. loved that show, and I loved her on Who's the Boss. Uh, there is another story that's been floating around uh, that I'm not sure we'll have enough time to get to today, but I'm def- I know it's going to last, so we'll talk about it next week as well. But UC Davis has come out and had to condemn some statements from one of their professors. An English and literature professor, professor named Joshua Clover wrote several tweets uh, years ago and then made some comments a few years back with San Francisco Weekly. The question posed to this professor was, what's wrong with society? His answer was, people think that cops need to be reformed. They need to be killed. He tweeted in 2014, I'm thankful that every living cop will one day be dead, some by their own hand, some by others, too many of old age. Hashtag, let's not make more. And then tweeted a few about a month after that. I mean, it's easier to shoot cops when their backs are turned. No. He has cowardly, much like a coward, has turned his Twitter account private and has declined to comment on his controversial views. UC Davis condemned the professor, but at this point haven't done anything or can't do anything. Remember, Davis is where an officer was shot and killed just a few months ago, just a couple of months ago. Where she was ambushed by that guy, where Natalie um, Natalie Corona was ambushed by that guy, just a couple of blocks away from campus. I don't know how people like that are uh, able to have jobs as influencers, influencing young minds. What if he said? What if he said instead of cops? What if he said black people? Or what if he said transgendered people? Think he'd still have a job? Apparently, he's out on uh, medical leave right now. All right. Yeah, I bet. All right. Coming up next, a guy goes to great lengths to avoid paying his Super Bowl debt. I got um, my uh, Super Bowl bet paid off yesterday, at least one of them. What was it? Brian Suits and the homemade cider. Oh, that's great. That was all because of uh, the Rams' failure, so it felt good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about this this uh, Super Bowl betting debt story when we come back. Gary and Channel will continue.
Gary and Shannon. At the uh, bottom of the hour, Aaron Katursky is going to join us. We have uh, been talking about the security clearance issue. The New York Times had a big report today that former Chief of Staff John Kelly was ordered by President Trump to get top-level security clearance for Dimples Kushner, even though the FBI and the CIA hadn't signed off on it yet. A couple local stories to tell you about. Uh, If you want a straw at a restaurant in L.A., you're going to have to ask for it. The city council has banned restaurants from automatically giving you a plastic straw. Also, Amazon getting into the mainstream grocery business. Wall Street Journal reporting that Amazon's going to open a series of grocery stores starting in L.A. later this year. Hey, uh, campfire update. PG&E, we know that they declared bankruptcy back in January because they're on the hook for potentially billions of dollars. They are apparently wearing it, or they're closer to wearing it uh, when it comes to the campfire. They said now in court papers that were filed yesterday that it is not just possible, it is probable that one of the transmission lines owned by PG&E sparked the campfire last year that destroyed the town of Paradise and killed 86 people. They're taking a um, a $10.5 billion charge for claims connected to the fire in the fourth quarter earnings statement that they posted yesterday. Oh, a quick update on the Dennis, the guy that made me the cake when I was oh, nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My sisters, they gave me the last name, um, and I haven't been able to find them specifically. But my sister, one of my sisters reminded me that not this was after the there was a flood in ni- 1982, yeah. early 1982. My birthday was wiped out by this thing, and he made me a cake for my ninth birthday. We all went over to their house uh, and celebrated my birthday because everything else had been flooded out. Um they also took our photo albums and washed every picture. Wow. Because they were completely covered in dirty, muddy water, like silt, fine, wow. silty water. And they cleaned all of our pictures. Those are for good us. friends. See? Now I feel bad. Yeah, you should. But they've got, so they've got a couple of daughters that would be my, a little bit older than me, because they're my sister's age, so yeah. three or four years older than me. I'm trying to track them down just to see if, I don't know where they ended up. It's like your own little mystery. It's not a very good one. (laughs) All right. Well, there was a man in upstate New York. He was running a Super Bowl pool. You do this every year. You put together a pool, and we we pick squares a little bit. Hold on a second. The most you can win at my house on a Super Bowl pool, I think, was was 80 bucks or something like that on on the prop bet sheet. That's it. Like, there's... You're never going to walk out of my house with a lot of money. This pool was for $50,000. Yeah, see? No, that's not going to happen. He is from a town just outside of Niagara Falls. And what happened was he started making up names in the squares of the pool he was running. But then none of his numbers hit, and he realized he could not pay out the $50,000 that he had promised to pay out. So he decides to fake his own kidnapping. Cops found him tied up in the back seat of his blue F-150 in a supermarket parking lot. He had a rope around his neck, and the other end was looped around the headrest. He was bound at the hands and ankles with duct tape. He told the state troopers that two men he'd picked up in his truck flashed a gun and stole $16,000 in cash that he had won from the Super Bowl pool. Okay. Why are you... Well, go on. 
that these two men who also participated in the pool made him drive around western New York against his will for two days and then tied him up and ditched him in the parking lot. Uh, That's a Jesse Smollett story if I've ever heard Yeah, but I mean this is a... doesn't add up. (sighs) They said that he made up the names in the squares of the pool that he was running and that, like you said, none of those numbers hit. He couldn't pay out most of the 50 grand that he had promised. Charged with felony fraud, falsely reporting an incident, which is a misdemeanor, due in court in the town where he was found sometime this month. Not uh, not sure if he's got an attorney, but this is, uh, this is pretty good. When you look at his mug shot, you can totally see this guy c- hatching this plan. Like, here's what I'll do. I know what I'll do. Yeah, I, the thing is, you if you do that in front of people, that's why you can't. That's why I had I think I had Brian Suit's daughter help me pick the numbers for the for the the number sheet that we did because I wanted there to be no appearance of impropriety at all. And I figure, you know, sweet little girl like that would never cheat. Well, there, I couldn't cheat there if were I gave it to her. To there do, were so. a couple of years in a row where your wife won everything. <laughs> that was unusual. I mean, so... come on. I think my husband even said, I'm not playing Gary's pool because I'll just give Shannon the money right now. <laughs> Which was very nice. He gave her a good $20 tip right at the beginning of the day. <laughs> I'll just very... hand this to you now. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to get into Swamp Watch. There's a bunch of stuff we're going to get to, not just the issue of top-level security clearances for Dimples Kushner, but Jay Inslee, who is he, why he's going to be running for president on the Democratic ticket, what Joe Biden said about Mike Pence that has taken people so... I don't know, giving them such a heartburn, perhaps. God forbid we have manners. Yeah. God forbid we don't yell at somebody and and put them down and criticize them. God forbid we treat people like humans despite our disagreements politically. Good Lord. You just missed that, by the way. No. The basket's like literally 18 inches from you and you couldn't make it. Is that what we're doing? Now? Yes, we okay. are. It's All Friday. right, Gary and Shannon. Is it so wrong to be human after all? Gary and Shannon, and it is Free Movie Friday with Adam Tickets. Adam Tickets, the best app to book your movie tickets. They want to hook you up with tickets to see A Star is Born Encore in theaters today. Bravo! Discover never-before-seen performances as this film returns to theaters for one week only. Text MORNING to Adam1 for your chance to win. Standard data and text message rates may apply. A couple of uh, weather stories that we've uh, been looking at. It looks like the first time since forecasters began writing this thing down, at least 130-plus years, this has been the coldest February, well, one of the coldest Februarys, and the temperature did not reach 70 degrees in downtown L.A. for the entire month of February. Pretty amazing. We've also been watching the winter weather, the rain that has come through, and the U.S. Drought Monitor says more than 87% of California is now free of drought conditions. Snowpack, 153% of average for this state, which is fantastic news. The Michael Cohen fallout continues. Apparently, he gave Congress a... Who's who of the president's allies and business associates during his testimony? Rattled off more than a dozen names, giving the House Oversight and Reform Committee a potential road na- roadmap, really, for uh, for future hearings. Great. 
target-rich environment, it sounds Let's see, like. Let's uh, see. Felix Sater. Oh, yeah, this stuff is He's the juicy. Russian guy. Russian-born former mafia informant and stock fraud scheme convict. Ooh, a business advisor to Trump for off and on for several years. You know, and I am told you I'm listening to this podcast, Crime Town. It's all mm-hmm. about the mob in, in Providence, Rhode Island. And it's fantastic look inside the mob. And it's not unlike the the way that Trump runs his life and his business dealings and loyalty, 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 and getting rid of people. I mean, not murdering them like the mob, <laughs> but get disposing of people who show him an inch of disloyalty or, or that maybe they talk too much. They, they're leakers, things like that, right? right. It smells like soup it's or something. It's just fascinating. And you put that on the heels of the story we had uh, by the Gambino descendant, uh, the the, oh, that's the, right. the, the nephew to Carlo Gambino, who said that Michael Cohen should be careful in prison because inmates love Trump. They respect him. And they don't like rats. The, the mob inmates. And they hate rats. Right. But again, he's going to Otisville. Super happy Jewish summer camp is what it sounded like. Hey, it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, the big story this morning was out of the New York Times, and it is proof that this president favors nepotism over, well, really anything, ignoring the advice of intelligence officials, the top intelligence officials... Because he wanted Jared Kushner to have security clearance. Aaron Katursky joins us from New York with the latest on this story. Aaron, what's going on? Well, uh, the the president had been told by his intelligence chiefs that that Jared Kushner was risky. And they didn't want to give him uh, a top-level security clearance. And according to the New York Times, President Trump said, okay, thank you, but no thank you, and ordered his chief of staff at the time, John Kelly, to give uh, Jared Kushner the clearance that that, that he wanted, a top-level security clearance. And uh, John Kelly was so distressed by the the overruling or overriding of, of of the intelligence community that he wrote down a contemporaneous memo about it uh the white house counsel don mcgann also apparently uh, upset uh, or or at least disturbed enough that he wanted to uh you know recall the moment and the um, and the white house didn't really deny it today kellyanne conway the counselor to the president said well he's got a right to do it uh whatever was described in the new york times now what did they not like about jared kushner it wasn't exactly clear, but from what we know, based on you know public reporting, there may have been some concerns about his real estate uh, development deals. There was some talk that he was uh, talking with some some in China about financing for 666 Fifth Avenue, which is this office tower that uh, Jared Kushner invested heavily in and that, that has not been uh, the greatest of investments. Uh, th- there was some concern that he may have been uh, untruthful on some of his disclosure forms that were uh, that, that were submitted as part of the background check. And, and, and experts in this area tell us that really the authorities are looking for honesty because they don't want to feel like there there would be any undue vulnerabilities. I read through. I don't know if you've seen Standard Form 86, which is the questionnaire for national security positions. It's not. I mean, it's long, 127, something like that, printed out pages. That's right. But it's not unclear. It says, do you have or yep. have you had 
close and or continuing contact with a foreign national within the last seven years? It's um, and 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 I think again, as you point out, these are not necessarily meant to be trick questions. They are meant to gauge honesty and uh, and potential business entanglements that could. Uh, you know, make you think twice about keeping the, the secrets that you are being entrusted with. And, and this is part of, of, of the concern now. Now that we know that, that Jared Kushner's security clearance was ordered by the president over the objections of intelligence officials who found him risky, um, some in the intelligence community, potentially uh, allies from, from, from partners uh, in you know, countries overseas, will they think twice about sharing information um, because they know that there's a risk there? And to be clear, and I guess to reiterate, the New York Times article says this, the, the president does have the legal authority to do this. It is just unusual for for that person, for that position to do this. There's no question the president has the authority to to give clearance to whoever he wants, can hire whoever he wants. It's 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 completely his prerogative. I think the you know the the issue is just because you can, should you? And and we think maybe it's happened before. Uh, and and there have certainly been examples in government where people who who raised flags were given clearance. Um, but here, uh, it, it, it seems to be what experts in this area tell us is an unusual exercise of presidential authority. Yes, he can do it. But the question is, should you? Was it right for him to, to you know, override uh, his, his intelligence community? But I think it's in line with how the president has operated in the past, right? I mean, he, he has um, disagreed with, with generals on military strategy. He has disagreed with diplomats on, on foreign policy strategy, uh, you know, pursuing this one-on-one diplomacy with Kim Jong-un, for example. And so it, 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 I don't think it's necessarily a surprise that, that when Jared Kushner sought a security clearance, uh, the, the, the president uh, seems to have, according to the Times, intervened. Now, the, the, the one tripwire here, of course, is that he told the New York Times previously that he did not interfere and questioned even whether he could. And his daughter, Ivanka Trump, told ABC News uh, when, when she interviewed on The View with Abby Huntsman that uh, the, the president did not get involved in the security clearance for either her or for Jared Kushner. I, I wonder if there are other names. Uh, who else did he plow through to get a – I mean, who else did he give a security clearance to? Well, we don't know. In, 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 um, we know that others in, in the White House had lost their jobs because there was trouble with their security clearance. So, you know, why did Kushner get special treatment? Was there a specific reason? We know that the president has given him a broad portfolio that puts him in touch with, uh, with, with world leaders uh, in, in the Middle East, uh, perhaps in Asia. And, and for some reason that concerned uh, the intelligence officials, whatever entanglements he may have had or, or whatever – uh, truths, truths or untruths may have been told. Is this going to be one of those things we see Congress investigate? Uh, well, I mean, you can imagine the Democrats are interested, and they've already tried to um, seek the uh, cooperation from the White House counsel. But if they don't get it, and, and perhaps you know they, they'd be willing to hold a hearing to see, um, you know what. To see what's up. I don't know how far they'll ultimately get or whether they can change the outcome, but oh, clearly they'll make noise. And this war uh, that the Democrats are fighting has so many different fronts and arenas. You know, I mean, uh, the, the news today that the House was going to call the Trump Organization finance chief to testify as well. I mean, there's just so many ways to, to fight this administration if that's what they want to do. 
Uh, well, that's right, and 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 this seems to guarantee one more one more avenue for the emboldened Democrats to pursue. Aaron Katursky, thanks so much. Appreciate Thank it you, as guys. always. Aaron Katursky, they're live in New York. The latest on this uh, this dust up over the top level security clearance that was given to Dimples Kushner. Um, we'll come back and do some more Swamp Watch, uh, talk about some of the candidates running for president. We also want to say that uh, at 1 o'clock, we're going to revisit Sky Borgman. She is the director, uh, cinematographer, producer of Abducted in Plain Sight. We're going to hear from her about making that just incredible, I don't even know the words, incredible documentary that a lot of people didn't believe <laughs> Uh, it's unbelievable. About the Broberg yeah. But anyway. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. There is freedom within. There is freedom without. Try to catch the Is that the only song that has the word deluge in it? I just for the first time realized that that's what the word is. Because <laughs> I was singing along with it. Yeah. Gary and Shannon, it is uh, March 1st, top of the hour. Sky Borgman, director, producer, cinematographer for Abducted in Plain Sight. is going to join us. We're going to talk all about how she came into that movie, how she's how she was able to make it. All of that stuff is coming up. Chris want- just uh, messaged us. Yeah. Thank you for telling me to watch Abducted in Plain Sight. I think I'm desensitized enough now to apply for that job with Cognizant. The story we did earlier this week about the company that has to go through all the videos that are not... Allowed to be aired on Facebook and the like. We have uh, been in the middle of Swamp Watch talking about what's going on in D.C. And we're starting to form up what is going to be our look at the race for 2020. If you, by the way, have suggestions on what we should call that segment, because it's, you know, at this point it's going to be recurring but not daily. There will be a point when we have to do daily updates on the campaign trail. So if you have ideas about what we should call this uh, race to 2020, 20 hindsight, whatever it is. We would love to hear it. You can uh, send it to us on social media. One of the things that has happened is that Joe Biden has not jumped into the race yet. Everybody thinks he will at some point. But yesterday, the former vice president was in Omaha, Nebraska, and said this about current vice president Mike Pence. Quote, the, factor of, the fact of the matter is it was followed on by a guy who's a decent guy, our vice president who stood before this group of allies and leaders and said, I'm here on behalf of President Trump, and there was dead silence, dead silence, referring to um, Pence's trip to a conference in Munich. And he was explaining what he thought was the damage to foreign relations that had been done by President Trump. Now, the thing that people keyed into was the fact that Joe Biden called Mike Pence a decent guy. Apparently we're done with decorum. You know, I had it in my head that once this president left the Oval Office, maybe there'd be a return to decorum, but then AOC turns up on the scene and throws decorum out, out, out the window, right? Uh, no respect for her elders type of attitude. Right. You know, we've got kids yelling at Diane Feinstein in her office, uh, interrupting her, being the most powerful Democratic senator, I think, in my lifetime. Uh, with with no respect for her, and have we just ha, have we just gotten to a point where we're not going to have a return to decorum? Well, with Chris Saliza from CNN, you got to be a, the biggest apple around. He wrote this up in terms of a, an opinion piece there in on CNN's website, and he pointed something out that I think he says as a negative. He said uh, things three things that this tells us this episode because uh, the LGBTQ MNP a AACP said this is bad because 
you can't have a guy, being Mike Pence, who is anti-LGBTQ rights and then call him decent. That was what their argument was. Joe Biden said, you're right. I was talking about him in a foreign policy sense. Right. Not about LGBTQ things. It, 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 it's, a, it's a combination of a complete loss of decorum and the race to be offended by something. Right. Chris Eliza writes, Biden is a creature of a totally different political time. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Now, wait. Chris Eliza is saying that in a negative context. He's saying we can't have these guys anymore who can uh, disagree with a friend about something. Yeah. You, you can't if you disagree with one thing that that guy believes, he is your mortal enemy and your job is to destroy him. That's what Chris Liz is saying about what politicians are today. It's 26 it, not just politicians, what all of us are today. It's like you can't have a conversation with somebody you disagree with politically and and still be friends with them almost. You know, it's like you can't even touch topics. Do you even? And this, I mean, I never would. It's not like I get together with my friends. And I was just say, what do you think that. about Mike Pence? Like that does not happen because you know that there will be people who say Mike Pence is the devil incarnate and should never be allowed to serve in any capacity for any reason because of his whatever his religious because he won't drink alcohol with women or whatever. I mean, right? Who? That's what you decide on is 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 that that. I don't know. The idea that that Joe Biden can have an opinion about Mike Pence and then get blasted over it. Because he's not being mean enough. It's frustrating. Yeah. Biden, by the way, said this week that he was very close to deciding whether to make that 2020 White House bid and will only run if he thinks he can win the nomination. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's not why Jay Inslee's running. You know, I think some of these people are running just to get name recognition for the future, like we've seen in the for the as long as the country's been the country. Right. Right? You know, sometimes you just you're not gonna win this time, but you're gonna get your name out there so that next time in four years or eight years or whatever, people more people will know who you are. It it's a frustrating thing. This whole episode is a frustrating thing that we've seen repeated over and over again on both sides of the aisle where a politician says something honest. Joe Biden probably honestly thinks Mike Pence is a nice guy. He's a decent guy. He may not agree with him politically, but he said he's a nice guy. Um, but he then bends over backwards when he's called out specifically on social media and says, oh, you guys are totally right. I didn't mean I didn't mean decent guy. I mean, he's a decent dresser. That's what I meant. I, that's, I would never say he was a decent guy. God forbid. Why is it a headline that Better O'Rourke heads to a Metallica concert? <laughs> like, why is that the headline of the story? Trust me, when he finally makes his announcement that he's going to run for president, it's going to be as if the Jonas Brothers dropped another single. We go together. Really? I think so. Better than birds of a feather. You think he gets more attention than Kamala did? Um, yes. Only because there was a chance that he was going to beat Ted Cruz. I mean... Beto O'Rourke was the hot topic in October and November. It's true. And remember, in his concession speech, he said something to the effect of, I'm so effing proud of you guys, but he said the word. Yeah. He said the F word. And everyone was like, oh, he said the F word during a speech. Let's hail the new king. I've been saying the <laughs> F word for a long time. And nobody ever nobody gets voted excited. for you. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is in, uh, in town as well. Uh, he took the stage at Scripps College in Claremont just the other day. Um, one political journalist said, oh, looks like you're polling at about 2%. 2% might be an uptick technically, but Pete Buttigieg is, at this point, the only known 
out gay man to run for president. And he's 30, I think he's 39 years old, or he will be 39 years old. Uh, boot edge, boot edge, sorry, boot, booty jet, never booty, booty judge, booty, boot, boot edge, edge. Anyway, he's uh, he's running for president as well. We can we can bet on that. I just went down the uh, seven U.S. presidents who are rumored to be gay or bisexual. Hole. How do you not even see these coming? You just walk into them and then you just say them and then your face changes and then you expect me to say something to try to pull you out of this. This is ridiculous. I'm tired of this. I thought you were decent. Abraham Lincoln? Okay. Of course he slept with dudes. But that was more of like, hey, it's cold outside and I'm looking for some relief. God, what am I doing? (laughs) All right. We come back. Uh, Sky Borgman, play, producer, director, uh, play, cinematographer, play damn cinematographer for Abducted in Plain Sight coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. We've uh, been telling you a bunch of stories today, including... The New York Times article that came out this morning that says that uh, the president ordered his chief of staff to grant Jared Kushner security clearance, even though the CIA and the FBI had said that wouldn't be a great idea. Um, It's totally legal for the president to do, but there are questions about why he did it before the FBI and the CIA were able to to clear him completely. Uh, A Hollywood death to tell you about as well. Catherine Hellmond from, uh, from Who's the Boss and Everybody Loved Raymond. Loves Raymond, sorry. She died at the age of 89. They said complications related to Alzheimer's at her home here in Los Angeles. A real treat today. We have spent so much time with all of you talking about Abducted in Plain Sight, the documentary on Netflix about the Broberg family. And if you were screaming at the television for an hour and a half like we were, (laughs) uh, think about the filmmaker and what she must have gone through. Yeah, Sky Borgman. We've mentioned her name before. Sky is an award-winning cinematographer, uh, shot over 50 films, documentaries, traveled all around the world to do these things. And uh, before we get into Abducted in Plain Sight and how that all started, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the movie business. Well, it really was, um, I spent a lot of time traveling and I just got to a point where I love traveling, I love storytelling, and I love taking pictures. And I thought, well, what can I do that kind of combines all of this? And the only real answer was making films. And specifically, I was interested in documentaries. So I went to film school at USC and uh, figured out how to do that. And from that point on was was pretty much shooting films and making documentaries. And, and fiction films as well, but, but my real love is documentaries. So how did the Broberg family capture your attention? How did you hear about what went on in Pocatello back in 1974? Yeah, I, I'd come across their book. Uh, one of the producers on the film, Stephanie Toby, actually found the book. She and Jan had a mutual friend, and she came to me. She hadn't worked on a documentary before, and she gave me this book, and she was like, what do you think about this? And I read the book, and I was just flabbergasted. I had no I couldn't figure out how something like this could happen. And I really wanted to kind of figure that out. So 
we met Jan. Uh, Stephanie reached out to Jan. We talked to Jan, and Jan was pretty much ready to tell her story. She'd had an opportunity. When they wrote the book in the early 2000s, uh, she had had kind of an opportunity to, to get her story out there, but I don't think the stars really lined up at that point in time. And so sort of 10 years after the fact, she was, she was really ready to get her story out there. Now, the, the book itself... Um, there's a lot more in the documentary. I should say there are some nuggets of information in, in the uh, documentary that were not in the book. How did you how did you find those things? How did you did you just stumble across them during interviews, or was that did that come out in research? Uh, a little bit of both, really. Uh, so, in the the sexual affairs aren't mentioned in the book. You mean and the parents' sexual affairs, the right? Parents' sexual affairs. That's yes. such a big part of it. <laughs> well, I know, and that's what I thought when I read the book. The, it just the puzzle pieces didn't quite fit together. And so when we had been talking to Jan, she, her mom had been pretty open about her affair and, and was, was okay about talking about it. And so Jan had sort of told us about that when we had done kind of pre-interviews with Marianne. She had mentioned it a little bit, but nobody had really talked about Bob's affair. I mean, it's not, I don't know, I think sometimes women are better at talking about this stuff. And and I know Bob had kind of kept a secret. His family knew about it, but they hadn't told us about it. And so we had managed to get some some court documents. And throughout the court documents, we found a mention to it. And so when we went in for the interviews, I knew I was going to talk to Marianne about it, but um, I didn't know if Bob was ready to, to tell his story. And when we interviewed him, he voluntarily told this part of his story without me really pushing him I, to tell it. Did and that so, shock you? Yeah, I think it did a, li- a little bit, but I also, I think it was very cathartic for him. I think he had been carrying around this secret for 40 years, and and he was ready to tell the story, and I also think he really knew what an important piece of the puzzle it was and how that his feelings of shame really sort of put blinders on and allowed a lot of this to happen in his family. And I think he finally realized that and that it was important for other people to to know that part of the story. As a, as a filmmaker, that's got to be one of those moments where you look around at the rest of the crew and you think, somebody better mark that. Yeah. We're, we're going to use that. And then the other part of you... Um, is there another part of you as just somebody listening to this heartbreaking story about what happened that uh, you almost forget what you're doing when you're there? You're just listening to this guy tell what is probably an embarrassing and very hard thing for him to say to you. Yeah, and I think his deepest, darkest secret. Sure. And it was, you know, I mean, I was just behind the camera just crying with him. And it's. It's really interesting with interviews because it's just such an intimate thing, and that's kind of hard, I think, to wrap your head around because there are these big cameras involved and there are lights, but it really is this almost one-way conversation where you have, you're giving this person a platform to talk, and you're just sitting there listening, and it doesn't really happen very often in real life that you just are in a position to completely listen to someone and not jump in and tell your side of the story. And and so I think it really, really gives people a lot of power and a lot of confidence and a lot of, of just intimacy to be able to tell their stories. But it was a very, it was very emotional for me to be on that side of the camera and listen to these stories. And it's, 
I, I think it's a great honor to um, to be able to go into interviews and have people open up and and tell their stories to me, and and it's a it's a really powerful thing. In that moment with Bob, uh, you feel for him. I felt for him. Mm-hmm. There was a degree of gosh, how naive are you? Um, but there was also kind of, uh, uh, you felt bad for Bob, right? Yeah. Uh, with, with Marianne on the flip side for me, I'm screaming, I'm screaming at the television. Uh, how are you able to listen to these stories and not say, well, wait a minute, you're going to have an affair with this guy and you know that he slept with your daughter? What, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's such a complicated thing. And I felt that way. I mean, there were so many times when I felt that way. And, and all of the gambit of emotions that I think you felt and that people feel when they're watching it, I've felt all of those things too. And especially during the editing process because you're not with them emotionally sort of in the same room. And, and when you're putting it together and you're really listening to these stories time after time after time again, there's judgment and there's reflection and there's anger and there's sadness. And, and I think a lot of it, too, was, I mean, I got to know these people pretty well throughout both the interview process and the editing process. And, and yes, their naivete was so incredibly frustrating, but I also, I also feel that their, I guess their motivation behind telling the story was very noble and, and also very brave. I mean, that's where I sort of would try to put myself into their shoes and, and say, well, would I ever sit in front of a camera and tell my, my story if it was this story? And I just can't imagine ever doing that. So I, I also feel like they're, they're pretty brave for telling their story. Sky, can you hang on for a couple segments? We'd love to talk. We have a bunch of questions we have here that we'd love to ask you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Sky Borgman, the award-winning cinematographer, producer, director of Abducted in Plain Sight that you can check out on Netflix that we've talked about for weeks now. Uh, we'll come back and ask some more questions. Just absolutely ecstatic to have Sky Borgman, cinematographer, producer, director for Abducted in Plain Sight, joining us to talk more about what it took to uh, to get the um, to get Jan and Marianne and Bob and the whole Broberg family to to come in and tell their story about this uh, horrific crime that was perpetrated against them uh, by Bob Berktold. If you know the story, we've told you a couple of times that Jan had been kidnapped twice, uh, sexually assaulted by this guy apparently married while they were in Mexico. I mean, just a, and the incredible mental manipulation that this guy perpetrated on this family to get access to the, to the 12, 13, 14-year-old Jan. And having affairs with both the mother and the father in, in, in a weird way to separate them and to have something to hang over their heads so yeah. he could have access to the little girl. And Sky, where we left off, you were saying that you don't know if this was, if this was your story if you'd sit in front of the cameras. And that was one of the big questions Gary and I had was, if this is your story and it's, you know, it's an embarrassment and it's known in Pocatello, Idaho, what what makes a family say, let's go national, let's go international, Let, let's, let's sit down and get more notoriety for this uh, embarrassing story? Yeah, I, I sincerely believe that the Brobergs are hoping that this film saves lives and and opens up people's eyes even 
even if they're, they've got their blinders on right now, that hopefully it's kind of a slow burn where people can kind of go back to this film and go, hang on a second, I'm feeling this way. This guy's looking at my kid kind of funny. Um, he's looking at me kind of funny. And, and I know what can happen. And I really think that's what prompted them to tell their story is that they want, they want people to know that it is not stranger danger. It is someone that you know, love, and trust. It's, it's the neighbor down the street. It's the school teacher. It's the cop. It's the husband. It's the wife. It's the grandfather. It's the brother. You know, it's people that you know. It's people that you love. Though that's what I mean. The statistics are are huge when when sexual abuse. It's something like, I don't know if these statistics are exactly right, but it's something like 90% of kids who are sexually abused are abused by somebody that they know. And, and it's so hard to accept that, that people put the blinders on. And, and the Brobergs did that. They put the blinders on because they love this guy. And so, so really that is their reason for taking this story, telling their story on such a big national level. In the conversations that we've had about this, either between ourselves or our family members or even on the air when we've done this, I've heard two different reactions to Jan Broberg as an adult. Mm. Number one, she seems so incredibly well-adjusted considering the, the trauma that this this girl went I through disagree. in formative years. I disagree. Or, well, that's the other thing. I don't think there, she's adjusted as at all. I mean, the fact that... that or, or she's... She's not dealing with it. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but she still says that she doesn't – she's never experienced the the love in her life after B the way that she experienced it with him. Like, yeah. that's a great love of her life. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's <clears throat> it's so interesting because I think it, – it, to me, it really begs, begs the question, like, I don't know that you can ever fully – you, you can never get back to normal. Like, this is always going to be a part of your life. And it's not just her life, either. Her life, her sister's life, her parents' life, her, her kids' life, her sister's children, their husbands, cousins. I mean, it's, you know, those ripple effects. But I think that Jan, she has done a lot of work, but I don't know if this this love that she she felt for Birchtold at such an impressionable age. I mean, I think about this age of being a 12-year-old little girl, or a little boy even, and how things that happen to you at that age, they just stay with you for your entire life. And and she definitely feels that way about Birchtold and, and has had relationships with men. But but I don't – but she's still working on that. And she – you know, she's even said she might be working on it for the rest of her life. She's actively working on it, but I don't know that I don't know that you could ever go back to the person you were before this happened. I, I think that's impossible. Um, there, there was reference to other women that were victimized, other girls that were victimized, and families by by Birch told. Have Have you talked to any of them, or have they reached out to you? Have you reached out to them? When we were in the editing process of the documentary, one woman reached out to us. She'd found out about us and making that documentary, and um, we talked to her a little bit. And it was really interesting because the she had sort of confirmed the alien story for me because I'd always had a bit of a question about whether the aliens were real or whether that was – I guess, a coping mechanism for Jan. And because there was no way of sort of fact-checking it, there was no way of, there were no court transcripts about it, Jan never talked about it. So 
we weren't able to really confirm that until this woman contacted us and she said that he had told her stories about being an alien princess and and I was like holy cow this is the same this is the same kind of manipulation he used on Jan and so at that moment I was like okay these aliens or at least this story is something that that was practiced and that he used quite a bit so we had talked to her and then the Brobergs had been in contact with a few of the other women, and and they had given us some contact information for them to reach out to them, and they weren't really interested in, in telling their stories in a public way. Gary and his uh, wife had to take a break while watching this because there <laughs> yeah. was just so much, and I read that you kind of took a break in, in mm-hmm. making the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, it just got to... Uh, for me, what was happening is I just... I didn't feel for anybody anymore, and I just got kind of numb to the whole thing and had lost all of my perspective. And so my editor, uh, James Cood, and I, I just said, you know what, can we just, he had an offer for another job, and I'm like, take it. And he went and edited a comedy, I think, and I, I came back and I redecorated my living room. and <laughs> Cleanse your palate, in other words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then we came back after about six weeks and and were able to really dive back into it and we could feel again or I could feel again and and it was the best thing that we could have done because it was just it was just kind of a grind at that point and and it was the worst that I just didn't I just didn't care about what was happening to this little girl and to these people and so so it was really critical. That is interesting. You pointed out earlier that you feel like the the Borgman family believes, sorry, that the um uh, the Broberg. Broberg family believes that that you know, one of the reasons that they wanted to do this is they wanted to help other people. And what my wife and I would do is we would get to certain points in the film and we would pause it and then look at each other and and say to ourselves do, are we doing it right? Are we being naive about right. the people that are close to our kids? Are you know? Are, have we? And it's one of those sort of self-check things. Mm. If nothing else, it just begins the conversation of: Are we making sure that we're creating a safe environment and have our an antenna up in case somebody is too close? That makes me so happy that you say that because it was it was really my intention from the very beginning. I mean. People don't really talk about child abuse because it is the most awful thing to think about. And and I think it's really easy to blame the Broberg parents. I know a lot of people blame the Broberg parents. But I I really wanted to start the conversation with this film. And, and it's a hard conversation to have, and it's a conversation that people don't want to be having. And so to hear you say that you would stop it and, and just check in with your wife, and a lot of people have said that. And a lot of people have said, look, it makes me really look at my parenting skills. It makes A lot of people have said it makes me feel like a great parent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So that makes me happy that it, it, it it's and it sticks with people. That's the other thing I've heard people oh, yeah. talk about. Uh, that, yeah, it's been you know. uh, two weeks and I still it's not one day has gone by that I haven't uh, thought about this film. Sky Borgman is who we're talking about. She is the one who put together Abducted in Plain Sight. Sky, can you hang on? I, I, I feel like you left a lot. Even though the, the documentary was so loaded, I feel like there's so much left on the table. And I want to see what the future holds for this story. Yeah, great. All right, more with Sky Broberg when we come back. Keep doing that. You know what I mean. Gary and Shannon, March 1st on this Friday. We're going to do a 
shortened nine news nuggets you need to know coming up in a few minutes. I screwed this up, Sky, and I apologize. I said Sky Broba. Sky Borgman has joined us. She is the director, cinematographer, producer for Abducted in Plain Sight, that Netflix documentary that we've been talking about for, for weeks now, award-winning uh, on the festival circuit. And that was that was my next question, Sky, is this movie, the way we watched it on Netflix, is is this the same format basically is this the same as it appeared when you started taking it on the festival circuit yeah it's exactly the way it was from the moment we started it until today except for the title so we did have a title change it started on the festival circuit and we called it forever be uh because that's what they called that's how birch told would sign his letters to jan was Ugh. forever be and that's so that's almost, the title. That's almost creepier yeah, than abducted in I plain know. sight I, I know well that's what I mean, we felt that was super creepy. Um, but but some people, like, what does it mean? Like, if you don't have any context for what the film is about, yeah. it was a little bit, it just kind of sent few, a few people in the wrong direction. And some people like, oh, I thought I was coming in to watch a romance. And I was like, oh, boy, yeah, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. But when Netflix bought the film, um, they suggested a title change uh, because they felt that a title that's more, you know, that makes a promise. It's more representative of what the story is about. Uh, really, their viewers like that better. It, it can lead viewers more to watching the film. So, and we were open to that. And uh, Abducted in Plain Sight was always our log line. So it kind of went hand in hand with Forever Be. And so the title change happened uh, around January of 2018. So the church plays a role in this story, unfortunately. And I feel like that... It, it, wasn't really ex- there was just no time to explore it in, in, right. the, in the movie yes uh we we would go down that path and we would talk about the church and 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 the broberg's relationship with the church and birch toll's relationship to the church and and also the relationship to i guess law enforcement and who to go to first you know do you go to your bishop first do you go to law enforcement first and and some of those decisions and how that happened and and every time we started really exploring this and really going down this path it was a bit of a wormhole and we were like oh my gosh it totally took us kind of away from the family and so we tried it so many times to try to figure out a way and then circle it back around and there just wasn't there just wasn't the time i guess in the in a 90 minute film to go down this path and so we made the very specific decision to really keep it the story focused on the broberg family and their experiences um, what about Karen and Susan? What about the two younger sisters to Jan? How how are they doing, and how have they responded to this? To they the are doing incredibly well. I mean, it's it's been it's been tough on all of the Broberg women because uh, there's been such a pretty violent backlash against her parents, and and Bob Broberg uh, passed away last November, right. so he hasn't. He hasn't felt the backlash, um, but his daughters have, his his wife has, and and that, I, I mean, I, I lost my father in 2015, and I can't imagine how much more heartbreaking it would be to read negative things about my dad months after he passed away. Mm-hmm. So it's been tough on them, um, but I'll tell you, it's also part of the story that I would love to explore if I get an opportunity to do to do more about this is how this affected Jan's sisters, because it's it's a very long-reaching 
I think, cycle of abuse, really, and how they recovered or how this abuse still affects them today in relationship to, you know, guilt that they may feel about how they respond to Jan or can they ever get mad at Jan because this awful trauma happened Yeah, they, they seemed the most tortured to me, uh, the, I, the sisters. Well, I think especially uh, Karen, the middle sister, she she remembers so much. She's got this phenomenal memory, and and the way she approached the situation was she wanted to know everything that was going on, and so she really paid attention. Susan was, was quite a bit younger and so doesn't remember a lot of it, but I think with Karen, it's really the events that happened then have really stuck with her, and I think also, you know, as these women have gone, gone from being girls to young adults to adult women and having their own families, all of these events that happened when they were little girls are still with them today. The one, the one image that you, when you mentioned, Karen, the one image that sticks in my mind is when uh, Jan calls. Yes, from, I, I guess do. From, from I California, just thought about that. And the tape, yeah. the tape is rolling, and Karen gets so excited that yeah. Jan is on the phone, yeah. and she's just, know. you know, she loses control. It gives basically. me chills. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? In terms of you know the material that you still have, the potential questions that still could be answered in in another movie about this family and the situation, uh, how do you how do you go forward? Do you have to get um, do you have to get funding to do this? What would drive a sequel to this or a second chapter to this? And have you talked to the family about that possibility? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've. It, it's very interesting because it's you know I mean that's part of what 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 so many people have been saying, I want, I want more. I want to know, I want to know more about the LDS church. I want to know more about the, you know, context about where the FBI was. I want to know more about so many things. And I would, I would love to sort of further explore this. I think it really would require, require funding and, and sort of me kind of sitting down and really figuring out a way to to get more of the story out there and and I would love to do that. I think it would be I think it would be a great way to to kind of answer a lot of the questions that people have. It's just amazing. Uh Sky Borgman, uh cinematographer, director, producer of Abducted in Plain Sight and a bunch of other other things shot 50 films and documentaries and again like we said traveled all around the world. Uh Sky, we in in I don't know if this is the right way to say it. We loved the movie. We loved Abducted in Plain Sight. In that it prompted, I, I think it did what you intended. In that it prompted questions, it prompted discussion, and for us, I mean, it's been a topic of discussion in our homes, in our, on the air, in the yeah, office. We've gotten for more weeks. feedback from from listeners to this than 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 really anything. Um, yeah. And and after talking to you today. I feel like you are the perfect filmmaker to get this story from the family because oh, you do have you. a lot of compassion and, and non-judgment in it, and it's very easy to talk to. And I think that your role uh, taking this story and, and publicizing it um, was a big part of, of how successful it's been, too. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's great to hear. Again, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll keep an eye on you if you need any help with anything. Not that we can do anything, but <laughs> never well, mind. Well, just, just taking the time to talk to me has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. The nine news nuggets are going to be shortened. But only, yeah, only five. Five nuggets. Get out your dipping sauces. <laughs> Gary and Shannon.
great, Shannon. Blake, I got a text from P. Just like cryptic text. Don't dream it's over. Credit house. Well, like. <laughs> no, there's no more time, right? Oh, no, we played that. I thought we did. Yeah. Wait, that, well, that's when he sent it. Ah, got it. It was exciting. It well, was excitement. Yeah. Uh, Sky Borgman was nice enough to stay with us for three segments, so we uh, didn't get into um, our nine news nuggets you need to know. We had to trim out the nuggets, so we're going to have to split the, cut them into pieces and it's share a, them a It's a, a nugget bit. diet. It's like a road diet, but it, with nuggets. Nobody needs nine. I mean, it, nine is great, but it's a little, it's a little much. Off we oh, go. Honorable mention. Not supposed to mention. I was going to mention it when the time was right. It's network policy not to mention it. It's been an honor serving with you all. Didn't I mention it? What an honor it is. Great and honorable Moses. So today we're holding auditions to become the newest member of Honorable Mention. So one of the most popular items at a buffet, I would wager, are the crab legs. People love their crab legs. And the crab legs at a buffet in Huntsville, Alabama, sparked a fight. Huntsville is not on the... Huntsville is as far away from the water in Alabama as you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. Why are you eating crab legs Mm -hmm. at a buffet a couple hundred miles away from the Gulf? Don't get all hoity-toity here. Listen, if we could please stop it. Uh, Literally, a Huntsville police officer, Gerald Johnson, says, Literally, as I sat down and maybe took two bites out of my plate, two people were fighting... Over crabs legs. There was a woman who was beating a man. Plates are shattering. The <laughs> tongs are clashing all over the crab legs. Uh, at the Meteor Buffet. They'd been waiting for the crab legs for a good 10 to 20 minutes. So when those babies were brought out, it was Lord of the Flies. Everybody said, they cut in line. She cut in line of me, and I cut in front of line of him. For five minutes! I have five rules. We begin bombing in five minutes. Five little monkeys. This is the year 5.5. On five for Do me a favor and lose five pounds immediately. You know, couples try to make their weddings special, different, memorable, and this couple from Texas is no different. <laughs> they staged a WWE <laughs> matchup between the groom and his bride's ex-boyfriend. Uh, Nick and Alex uh, came up with this idea. This is silly. Alex and Nick recruited a Texas-based wrestler who wrestles under the moniker Steve O. Reno. And Steve O. Reno came into the venue claiming to be Alex's ex-boyfriend and demanding to win her back Um, and picks a fight with Nick. I'm going to make you depressed uh, like I made you depressed when I said the Kardashians were the only thing trending in the United States. (laughs) Footage of the fight has racked up more than 93,000 views on this guy's Instagram page. Nick picks up Steve O'Reno by the neck, smashes him through a homemade breakaway table. Originally, they wanted to interrupt the ceremony, and even the bride was smart enough to go, that's probably not a great idea. Four minutes! He's probably on his fourth tranquilizer by now. Commandment number four. There goes the fourth amendment. This isn't the same world you left four years ago, sir. Best story of the week. Tell me. Sully the service dog, you remember, of course, made headlines in an iconic photograph of the little two-year-old yellow lab lying just below President George H.W. Bush's flag-draped casket. Yes. He had been a service dog for the former president for several months. 
Well, upon his passing, the president, not the dog, the dog got a new job. He was reassigned. He's joining Walter Reed National Military Medical Center's dog program to help wounded veterans. So he he gets a new vest. I mean, he goes through the training and everything, which is why it took so it took time. But this week, he gets a new vest. He is literally considered a Navy hospital corpsman second class. His Instagram account posted that he's looking forward to continuing his mission as my best friend wanted me to. Come on! Stop it. Three shall be the number thou shalt count. And the number of the counting shall be three. They were dead within three hours. Three. Security clearance level three. All three of you. Three. I got all three of you guys for the rest of your natural born lives. After about three three days, they both start to stink. Three. Well, this is neat. A uh, Dr. Seuss book is going to be released a few months. Uh, September specifically, 28 years after his death. They said that the book is about creating and experiencing art. It's called Dr. Seuss's Horse Museum. You're going to do a first printing of about a quarter million copies. I Rich- love Dr. Seuss. Original manuscript was discovered in the home um, along with the 2015 bestseller, What Pet Should I Get? So, very cool. I didn't realize that there was any other work that hadn't already been published at this point. Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein. Do you ever oh, read yes. those ones? Yeah. Shel Silverstein got a little dark for me at times. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I liked about it like as a kid. The the kid and the the, the tree. The giving tree? Yes. That's a creepy. Yeah. It's like, don't eat all my apples. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, you two? Take away, right? Uh, two. Made me want to carve yeah, things into my parents. There's two sons and no women. Two ringy-dingy. I remember the very first time I saw the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I had just graduated high school. I was down here on a trip and was so (laughs) underwhelmed by it. Only because 95% of the people whose names appear on the Hollywood Walk of Fame... I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea who they are. The other thing is you think Hollywood's going to be this big, glamorous thing, and you're like, this is it? This is Hollywood? I thought I was going to see Tom Cruise walking down the street. Right. Exactly. The Farrah Fawcett was going to be my tour guide. No, that is not at all what happens. And is, if you, you lived here for any amount of time, you now know that. It has been named the worst tourist trap on earth. It's very, very funny. Uh, they did a survey of tour attractions um, and conducted by Stasher. And they looked at a variety of data points, including reviews on TripAdvisor, popularity on Instagram. The winner across all 100 attractions was the plaza in Seville, Spain. Sevilla. That's why I said. I've been there. That's why I said. Seville, Spain. Beautiful. It was probably my favorite place in Spain, except for Barcelona and Madrid. (laughs) And there was this really cute mountain town. It's a beautiful town. Uh, Orcos. Traveling through Spain just the other day. Mm, Tapas. Wonderful. We're number one. You're a number one. We're number one, Ben. That's all the cast. I decided to look out for number one. Are you the number one? <laughs> Row number one. Number one. <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, Mrs. Mooney, uh, something smells in our classroom. You know, there are so many teaching moments for teachers with, with kids, your kids, and then there are some t- teaching moments that last 100 days. <laughs> Julia Mooney, 
decided that she was going to show her kids a, uh, a very important message, but she wasn't going to tell them about it until they figured it out later. She bought a $50 frock, she says, mm-hmm. little gray button-down dress, and then wore it over and over and over and over. She watched... she. She said she would wash it only when necessary. Only as needed. Oh, sorry. Only as needed. She wore the dress for 100 days in a row. She wanted to impress upon the kids that you are not what you wear. Side note, who's buying frocks? Time out. I'll explain to you exactly who Julia Mooney is. She's a mom of three kids and eight chickens living outside of Philadelphia with her husband. And all her uh, on her website, she describes herself as a permaculture wannabe and a birth doula. No. Yep. No. Yep. Oh, I see a picture of her in her frock, mm-hmm. and it is gamey. Holy hell! And it is indeed a frock. I think you need to go wash those clothes just to be safe. You wash your clothes. You first. John and Ken up next. We'll see you on Monday. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. L-A-T-T-I-H-T-B-D. Look at the time. I have to be going. Gary and Shannon.